So I just want to thank you, uh, Greg Fry, for coming on my show, on my podcast. It's not really a show, uh, but uh, I just appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know you're busy um, to come and sit and talk story with me. So, but uh, for the people who don't know who Greg Fry is, just give us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, and uh, you know your educational history and all that. Sure, be glad to. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, whether a person's busy or not doesn't matter. You <laughs> want to do things that mean something. Mm -hmm. This means something. I you bring that. to the people stuff that they might not otherwise think about. And, I, mm -hmm. and you're good at it, and you are thoughtful and intelligent, and you drive people to think about things that they might not otherwise think about. So I take this as a really cool opportunity that I'm happy to invest some time. Well, I appreciate you. Absolutely. I, I didn't even have to pay you for that. Not at all. No, not <laughs> at all. We go way back, and, and you deserve that type of praise. Anybody who wants to help others in mm -hmm. whatever way deserve some praise. But back to your question about me. Um, I was actually born in Southern California, the beach cities of Southern California. My brother and I had a twin brother. And we were, you know, you don't get to pick your parents, right? Yeah. And so it was a little bit of a challenge. And my dad was real young. And my parents were married and divorced before my brother and I even knew that they existed. <laughs> and we lived with my grandma until my dad ended up where? Here because he grew up in the beach cities of Southern California, had gone to summer school here at UH, and he ended up, worked his way through school, got to admire that, and he ended up at Stanford Law School. Oh, wow. I'm actually a third-generation attorney. I practice law for a living. And so he lands here, so my brother and I get shipped off from the grandma here, and so we were in grade school real young. And so I grew up in East Honolulu when it was really a cool place to grow up. Back in the day? Oh, when there was just trees and no houses? That? Very close. There was <laughs> nothing up on the ridges. There was, no, uh, there was one elementary school, no Kaiser High School. There was no way up and around uh, to get to Sandy Beach on a shortcut. Those were all farms oh, yeah. that we used to go to. But anyway, it was a great place to grow up as a little kid. I thought I was literally in Nirvana. <laughs> so I was a public school kid up until I started high school. By then, Kaiser had come along. My brother went there. I went to St. Louis, then called high school because it was a four-year school. Literally changed my life. I think you do know my amount of devotion and the amount yeah. of time I've spent uh, as we say, bleeding red and blue. Yeah. Loved the place, went off to school, was lucky enough, as was my brother. We both went off to the mainland for school. I went to school in Northern California at Santa Clara. Then I went to law school up in uh, Oregon at Willamette. Then I married my college sweetheart, who I adored from the day I met her. Funny story. I know the day I met her. She doesn't remember it <laughs> <laughs> all these years later. Interesting. So she helped me uh, get through law school, and I married her six days later, and that was going on 36 years ago. Oh, wow. Congrats so, to that. Yeah, you well, know. So like 1985? Yeah, 86. Yeah, 86. I was born in 85. So. <laughs> there you go. So I've been lucky enough to come home. We had a couple of kids, now adults, and like so many of our island-born adult kids, they live on the mainland, have their lives there. Uh, we wish them well, wish they were here, but people move on and, and enjoy wherever they land, I think. 
So I've been practicing law here since I came back, and and, uh, I continue to do it, and I continue to enjoy it. And you don't just practice law. You also run a whole bunch of different stuff. I was looking at your resume, and I was like, man, that's a that's a long resume. What is the the P I A E? Is that? Wow, you got some retention. I always knew you to be a bright guy. Uh, that stands for the Pacific Ink and Art Expo. That is, we were fortunate. It's it would have been into its tenth year now. Uh, of course, two years without being open. Mm. What is it? It is a three-day, as all expos are here, a three-day expo from Friday to Sunday, uh, tattoo expo. We get artists from all over the world, the biggest and the best. We usually have about 275 booths times two artists, do the math, <laughs> including the only expo, tattoo expo in the world that offers all four forms of surviving traditional tattooing, tapping with the bones in the sticks, cacao is Hawaiian, tatao is Samoan, and then there's the Filipino and the Japanese. They're pokers, but it's the same thing. And so we have them all there and in their traditional way of doing it, and people just come to watch because you just can't see it. So that's my release side of my <laughs> world because, you know, practicing law, kind of kind interesting, right? Uh, I practice law for a living, but I hang out with the tattoo community, and yeah. I, I enjoy it, full of a bunch of freaks, but they're awesome, and they're great, and they're just so talented. It's interesting because you don't have a motorcycle, yeah? Someone could take you for, like, a biker. I do. I own several, actually. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. I went to, went to Sturgis in 2004. Uh, 13 and was featured uh, we were filmed the first day for eight hours by the travel channel they did an eight-part series called sturgis raw and Mm. the reason they did it is because man this guy from hawaii is coming all the way to sturgis (laughs) and he's going to get tattooed by a super famous tattoo artist in sturgis and so they thought that was cool so I made episode two, Chrome and Glory, and and it's still being shown in syndication. So I joke and I say, "Ah, my autograph is still free. Yeah, Get it it while you can. Get it while it's hot. Yeah. So I do, yeah, I'm a big, uh, big into cars and motorcycles myself. What else are you into? You know, all kinds of stuff. I'm kind of (laughs) eclectic that way. Uh, Like I said, a lot of motorcycles, cars. I just love classic cars. Boats. I grew up. Uh, but wait, you know. I, I remember before you were telling me about pinball machines. Oh man, you gotta. <laughs> and there was one particular pinball machine. I can't remember what it was, but you said it, like, it was like the holy grail for you. It. Yeah, I currently own uh, one, two, three, four, five, six pinball machines. They're in different places. I just shipped two of them to my daughter in in the mainland, uh, but. The Holy Grail for me, I don't, I, I'm not really sure, but the one that's most precious to me is made by Bally. You've heard of the slot machines, mm-hmm. the, the, big, the big hotel in Vegas, Bally. Yeah. Uh, they also did pinball machines for years. And so it's called Safe Cracker. It's a very unique, very hard to find, but... And you'll appreciate this, James, having devoted a big part of your life to the military and to military service. It was completely restored by an army guy that I met at a pinball auction. Mm. And he had gone to West Point. He was a young guy. And he was in the army um, 
Corps of Engineers. He was an engineer and probably the smartest dude I ever met, but he was just a normal guy, yeah, just yeah, the yeah. greatest. And in his spare time, he restored pinball machines. I thought I'd found Nirvana, so I, he restored it. I bought it from him. It was great. I, he used to send me a lot of work. He was a really great guy. And you know this, James, because of the pressures of the military, especially in times of war. He had two little kids, and he took his life. Uh, and because it's just tough. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. You just try to get through it. And the pressures for a lot of people, whether they're in law enforcement, as you were also, or in the military, or almost anything in life mm -hmm. these days. And so that's a very precious machine for me, but it, it doesn't hurt that it's awfully rare, too. Yeah, nice. And you, <laughs> but if there was one that you uh, could have but can't find, is there any like that? Yeah. I'd say straight up for me, it would be Twilight Zone from Bally. That's uh, the, right. I remember the Rod, that. The Rod Serling uh, show from yesteryear. Oh, it came out. Nobody thought it was going to be a big time, and it went to the roof. The other one that I, I actually do on one, they did four different ones, and that would be Harley Davidson. They've done four iterations of the Harley Davidson one. The reason you can't find those is every dealer in the country you know, these guys, they've got cash. They're usually very successful. It's like being a car dealership owner, right? right? And so as soon as they came out, half the dealerships in the country would buy one or two for their dealership to bring people in. Mm -hmm. So the public couldn't ever get them. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, so I did get one in the aftermarket, the first generation, which people think is not the best, but I like it. Are they all operable? Oh, well, yeah, mine are, uh, yeah, <laughs> they're in really good shape. That's really awesome. good shape. And two of them I've owned for over 20 years. I just, I don't sell them. I liked them when I bought them, and I, I still kept them. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. So let's go back. You said you're the third-generation attorney. I am. What kind of law did your grandfather and father practice? Interesting. My, uh, both of them did practice law, but they really used their law degrees as a major factor in other things, and they were good at those other things. My grandfather owned a company in Southern California with his father called the Ames Fry Company, and it was a giant steel piping under mostly gas stations um, in Southern California, and he did the law side of it. He did the mat business side, and my great-grandfather did the, you know, the on-site manufacturing, taking care of the troops, and so he had his own little... Um, he had his own little practice. My grandfather did everything. He came out of back then. He was, my dad was born in 1941, right? right you know, right wow. in the war. My grandfather was in the Army Air Force JAG. Because back then in the 40s, especially during the war, the JAG was for both branches of those services, the Army and the Air Force. And so you were literally in the Army Air Force as, a, as an attorney, and that's what he did. And then he came out and had his little practice, but mostly his business. My dad uh, came over here and got hired by a hugely prominent firm, and that's what landed him here back then. It was Paget Greeley, Miramoto, and Okanaka. I'll never forget it. Became Mr. Padgett went on to be in the Hawaii Supreme Court. Each one of those oh, guys nice. were major players. To me, my brother and I just knew them because we were little kids. You know, we were talking earlier about having management meetings and having <laughs> yeah. attorney meetings. And you know, because 
used to work with us and were great at it. And you remember back in the day, you complained. Nothing, <laughs> nothing like the old days. My dad's weekly attorney's meetings were Sunday morning at 7. Ooh. Yeah, that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't fly today. <laughs> and my dad would have to get my brother and I up and throw us into the car, and we'd have to go to the thing. So he did mostly personal injury from the plaintiff side, car accidents and that. Mm -hmm. But he had a big practice with a guy named Stuart Cowan. They were together for over 20 years as Cowan and Fry. And Mr. Cowan, I clerked for him a couple of times. He was best compliment I can give to anyone is they know so much about what they do that they've actually forgotten more than most people will ever know. <laughs> yeah, and that true. was him. That was really him. He was an amazing man. Uh, and he taught me a lot of things, and he did a lot of family law. So he kind of got me interested in that. And, you know, coming up the way I did when I was younger, I said, this might be a, a cool thing. So right after I, start, I passed the bar, I really... Not exclusively, when I first passed the bar, 1987, I practiced kind of everything the boss told you to do, but by 1990, I landed with Brad Coates as his associate to start the litigation department under his firm, and I have practiced nothing but family law since 1990. Wow. Yeah. Did you work time. with your father's firm? or you I did. I worked for Mr. Cowan. I didn't work for my dad at all. That's a danger. You never want to do that. You want to work for other people and let them teach you because your parents will always be your parents no matter That's what. And, and while my dad was a very bright guy, um, he didn't do the stuff that interested me. Uh, and Cowan just did anything. He was a take no prisoners. We did appeals. We'd, we'd work till midnight every freaking night. I mean, honest to God, it was amazing. But, you know, that was a good way to cut teeth. He yeah. was just that kind of guy. And you, were, you said you were, um, were kind of, you moved into family law. Right. Because you're interested in that. I don't know, man. After working in the family law firm with, with you guys for like two and a half years or whatever it was, I feel like, that, that's such a rough gig. Now, I never worked in any other form of law, but I feel like family law, because you're dealing with, uh, you know, these families that are broken, parents using kids as pawns in these games, and all these false allegations, and people splitting up, you, you know, 50-year marriages split up, and... Uh, it's amazing, and you hit it right on the head with your, your kind of intro on that. I, I tell people... And this is, they actually do this. I don't know how they do studies about the mind and that kind of stuff. But <laughs> next to the death of an immediate family member, I mean, you know, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, uh, psychologically and psychologically damaging, divorce mm -hmm. is the next most altering thing in somebody's life. Interesting. And it sucks up the kids exactly the way you say it, we call it alienating and aligning, sometimes subconsciously, but daddy left us, and then the kids have to be chivalrous, even if they're little boys at five years old. Mm -hmm. I got to take care of mom, or it could be dad saying that, and he's never taken care of himself, and then daughter's got to be what daughters are great at, being maternalistic, even if they don't understand the word. Yeah. And the kids literally have to take over the roles of the adults and their parents don't even know it. Yeah. They can't even see it. It's interesting because I've, I've also seen and experienced myself where like uh, the parent who has custodian 
or custody, sorry, who's the, who has custody of the kids, um, you know, when they're at home with the kids, they're, they're, they're bad-talking the other parent, which I think is completely unfair for the kid. I think the kids, it wasn't until I was 16 and I had my driver's license when I really started to bond like with my dad because I was able to drive to his house, um, you know, so when you grow up so long and you're told, oh, you know, he's a POS and all this, whatnot, you know, that has an impact. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. I'm not going to change anyone from, you know, if they're doing it now, you know, bad talking to the other parent. But that's part of the um, reason why, for me, like, family law was always, like, kind of rough. Just, you know, the clients are in a bad spot. The kids are in a bad spot. You know, you really amazing, but that's also, as I remember when you used to work with us, why you were good at what you did. I, I see myself in the same way. Coming up maybe much like you, uh, broken family, mm-hmm. got to do what you got to do. You don't get to pick your parents. You just try your best. You hear that all day long. I tell my clients often, I, I don't want to be gender biased, but let's be real about it. Mm-hmm. Often the dad who ends up with less time, if any time, yeah. and I say, here's what's going to happen. Yeah. Your kids are going to hear every day of their lives how bad dad, dad put us here. Dad's <laughs> yeah. the reason for this. This is why you don't get to go to that movie because mom doesn't have enough money and it's because dad left us. And these are just examples, hypothetical completely, mm. but the kid keeps hearing it, the kid keeps hearing it, then start spending time with dad, whatever amount, whether it's in your example until you got your car and we're able to be a little bit more flexible and a little bit more independent, or maybe earlier, and, and you spend time with dad and you go, man, I don't get it. Mom keeps saying that, but you know, when I'm with dad, seems kind of fair. He seems pretty good. If I do something wrong, he busts me on it, but you know what? I got to admit it, he usually does it when I do something <laughs> wrong, and he's pretty fair and he's pretty good, and there comes a time in many families where finally junior says or daughter says you've been lying to me mm-hmm. i've got my own now i'm old enough to form my own opinion and you're wrong and then i say and then the guy will say well what happens then i said junior will be there with a suitcase in front of your door <laughs> yeah saying i'm staying Wants to move in with you. You know, I just, I, and that's a dramatic example, but it really isn't. It happens a lot because they, people need to vent yeah, when they're upset. Yeah. But the problem is they end up venting with those around them. You ever heard that old uh, saying, kick the dog? You know, when you're all uptight and you're all upset, you oh, go yeah, home and you, you kick the dog. Yeah, take it out on that, the dog. Right. <laughs> well, the, the proverbially, the, the kids end up being the dog. And their parents don't really mean to do it right? because they love their kids. And, and if kids had the courage and if the kids had the ability and most of the time, hey, they're my parents, i got to respect them to a certain mm-hmm. degree, they would often say, huh, you know what, especially if the parents are still together fighting and feuding, here's my last five bucks. Go <laughs> see a lawyer. Yeah. You guys are going to be okay separated. Yeah. But you're killing us being together. Yeah. Kids could actually tell their parents a lot more than the parents give them a shot to talk about. With my brother and I, you know, we had each other. So we would just go, oh, nothing we can do about it. <laughs> yeah. it. It is what it is. Yeah, it's interesting because I just, I just think it's unfair in a sense where, like, a parent can every day 
tell a kid something bad. It's kind of like if, if you don't like someone, then no one else is allowed to like them. But then exactly. other people meet that other person. They're like, well, it's not, it's not that right. bad. Exactly. Relationships are different between everybody. And know? they should be. And people should recognize that. You know, I tell my parents all the time, okay, let's be honest. When you and your wife were at your best, you had a different layer and different levels of relationship than you have with your kids. You had intimacy with your wife. Did you guys have sex on the kitchen table while Johnny and Jenny were eating their Cheerios in the morning? Of course you didn't. Right. You were responsible. You, you carried out relationships differently with your wife than you did with your kids. Why can't you do that when you're separating and recognize that you can't bring everything that you're doing with your wife or your husband, which is marred with conflict, right. in on your kids? Yeah. But it isn't easy. It's interesting. Like So kind of like you were the former president of the Hawaii State Bar Association. Are you still active with them? Well, or the way that works is they front load you to death, right? You get, <laughs> it's an elected position. And thanks for, thanks for mentioning that because I don't know if it's because I'm a third generation attorney or because I've been philanthropic on boards all over town and various things forever, basically mm -hmm. since I started practicing law all those years ago. But for me to have been the president of the Hawaii State Bar was the biggest honor across the board for anything I could have ever have done in my life professionally, anything. Bet, yeah. And I'm the first exclusive family law attorney ever to be elected the president of the state bar. <laughs> Mostly it's, you know, I shouldn't say older, but the really seasoned, well-known, often litigators, the heavy hitters in this town. If you look, and, I, and I, I'm proud of that, you remember the law book, right? It's got all the lawyers in it. It's yeah, got all tons. of the pictures, and it looks like the phone book because there's so many lawyers in this town. Yeah. And on the first page, on the, on the left side, they show every lawyer who has been the state bar president since 1950. And you look at that list, and if you know what you're looking at, I do say it, and, and there's a lot of entities and things that you get comparable in this, but it's among legends, so I, I feel as if I had an obligation to do the best. But to answer your question, the election, the showdown is at vice president. You have to win that. If you win that, then the next position is president-elect. You're automatically wow. in that, and then president. So it's a three-year gig to get up to the president. Then you're the... <laughs> immediate past president which otherwise means if they need you they'll call yeah. you but you don't you're not we're all members of the bar we have to be we have what's called a mandatory bar some states have uh voluntary bars we have a mandatory bar because connected to it is our police the office of disciplinary counsel is the entity that through our licenses, monitor our conduct and our professionalism and our competency and everything in between. And that's funded through the bar revenues, my dues. Interesting. Yeah. So, so that's interesting because, so what if, um, 
What if this plan to create this, uh, was it Department of Corrections uh-huh. who will take over like the police and all the law enforcement? Oh, whether that would be an arm? No. No. Because it's administrative entirely. What could they do to me at the worst? You might have heard this term and you read it in the paper. You, you're disbarred, which means you, mm. they take your paper away. They don't arrest you. You don't get any kind of record. But if they take my paper away, I can't practice law. Oh, I see. And it's cool because one thing I've always liked about working here was like you guys always, whether it's Brad or you or, or Noah or Tom, you guys are always pushing each other to all do good because Tom and Noah are both members of the Bar Association. Like Everybody they serve, is. right? Oh, yes, to that extent. Both Tom, Tony Moto, and Noah Gibson, Brad and I were Coats and Fry forever. I came to work for him, as I indicated to you, in 1990. In 1996, I became his partner, and from 96 to 2019, we were partners under Coats and Fry. Mm-hmm. Then we went to Coats, Fry, Tanimoto, and Gibson. And to your point, both Tom Tanimoto and Noah Gibson are heavy hitters within the bar. They both were accepted into the Leadership Institute means really nothing to most folks but in my industry in our industry it's they have an equivalent for the general population i forget what it's called mufi hanneman came out of it it's it's that think tank organization and they and they pick you each year Mm. it's the same thing but in the law and both noah and tom different years were selected to the leadership the fellowship and uh, that was a big-time thing. Yeah. And Noah won an award for being one of the best lawyers a few years ago. Tom followed me. I was the family law chair of the state bar many, many years ago. Tom has been twice the family law chair. Oh, he likes the abuse, huh? He does. <laughs> he really does. It's amazing. He, he thrives on it. So, yeah, they're both heavy hitters within the bar. Interesting. Because I thought, wasn't Tom like uh, secretary of... One of the organizations, I thought it was the Hawaii State Bar Association. I thought he was like secretary for the board or something. No, he's not been at that level at the, at the uh, entire board. Mm. He's just a real heavy hitter in the family law section. Now you got to tell him, hey, bro, you got you to gotta become secretary. That's Gibson. <laughs> That's Gibson because oh, Gibson's also a third generation attorney. Mm-hmm. And his father, Michael Gibson from Ashford and Riston, to me, the epitome of what a lawyer should be honest to God, and he's a former state bar president, so oh, Noah's got that pressure. <laughs> Unlike me, I didn't. My dad wasn't. <laughs> he didn't do that, uh, but does Noah have pressure? No, but he's that kind of guy. You know, He yeah. wants to give back, and he wants... So I bet you he works his way up the ladder in you know, maybe 10, 15 years. You got to kind of, I think, put in... Because once you decide to devote to that, oh my God, the amount of time you have to put into it. Yeah. So, you know, th- these guys, Noah is 20 years younger than I. Tom is 10 years younger than I. <laughs> we did this purposely. You know Brad Coates and his whole way of figuring stuff out. Yeah. We want that firm, our firm, to go long beyond us. Mm-hmm. Most law firms, whoever the name partners, when they're ready to go, close up shop, they tell our whole office, in a year we're going to be gone, good luck. Yeah. We don't. We we turn it over 
to the new selected guys, and, and we want them to continue. Brad, literally, his lifeblood is that office. Oh, yeah, it is. And you know, you yeah. worked for, for him. You worked directly under him, for him, as part of what I call the power team. Each yeah. lawyer has, you know, one or two people are working. You were with him. You know. It literally is his calling. It's his... I don't know what he's a Buddhist. he's a Buddhist and he gets into all of that REM stuff. <laughs> yeah. and that's wonderful, but I think people really have benefited over the years because of it. And then for so man, twenty nineteen, it seems like so far away already. Uh, that's when Noah and Tom came on. Officially in an and the firm changed the name and everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I remember any time like an attorney came or left, we'd have to change all the letterhead I and know. all that. Oh I my know. God, so tedious, the website, everything. <laughs> and you remember Jamie, our office manager, you know, who always wanted to make sure we didn't spend too much money. We yep. go, oh, can we just leave everybody's name can off? Can we just white it out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know, you need an office manager who will do that, yeah. especially in today's environment caused by COVID or otherwise. But you know, everybody's challenged. Yeah, and everybody's challenged. So I'm curious, like, what was the sentiment around the office? So these guys had just bought in, mm-hmm. uh, and now it turns over a new year. They're thinking big things for the firm. Everyone's excited, I'm sure, because you got t- two new partners, uh, and then boom, COVID hits, and then you start seeing the world like shutting down. Like, did you guys see what was coming, or? Well, in terms of the virus, we were no more prepared than anyone else in our just, free world. I mean, like the shutdowns. Like when you start seeing the other countries shut down and then the government start talking about it before they actually implemented I'll, I'll it. I'll tell you honestly, James, yeah. you know the old adage in my business? Everybody hates lawyers until they need one. <laughs> That's okay? true. And so remember when they started these shutdowns and you know people in the hotel industry and in the restaurant industry and in the retail industry they were open and booming and all of a sudden they were told you cannot be open. Your livelihood is not permitted to exist yeah. until we tell you it can be. The law you might remember Call it what you want, but lawyers were deemed essential workers. Mm-hmm. We never closed, not one day. So we had that luxury. Let's be honest about it. We might not have had the clients who had any money because everybody lost their jobs. Yeah, or they were, I mean, they didn't have, they needed help, yeah. but they had no money. It's not their fault. Their whole, can you imagine how many people needed to run into court to modify their child support obligations, which, as you know, are based in wow. this state, based on gross, not net, but gross income of mom and dad, <laughs> and dad loses his job that's high paying through no fault of his own. I hadn't even thought about that. And so they're going, oh, my God, what do I do? Because if you don't do that, it's an arrearage. It keeps building. It doesn't automatically shift with your job. You've got to go and, oh, I I can tell you people call even today. You know, I lost my job three and two years ago, and they tell me I owe $100,000. But, you know, I lost my job. Yeah. I said, yeah, but you were supposed to let them know <laughs> when you lost your Jeez. job. So my point is, is people are stretched, and we were too, but we had the luxury 
of being open. But boy, sometimes it was not a luxury <laughs> because we remember those days where everybody had to social distance extreme. Yeah. You had to do all these things and everybody was under a cloak of what? Uncertainty and instability. They didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Several of us in our office, and I know you know my story with my brothers, several of us were hit as hard as you could be with family deaths because of COVID. Hmm. Two in my office. One lost a father and I lost my twin brother. Yeah, that's and terrible. so it's, it, we had to be cautious. Mm -hmm. And what did that mean? You'll love this. I don't think we've ever talked about this. We were glad we were open. We did have to eliminate a lot of people's jobs to cost contain and we hated to do it. We had never done it before in our professional lives at that office, but we had to do what we had to do. Mm -hmm. And then it was, we have too many people here. They're too close together. So you, do you know we did everything? We had split shifts. We had half the office work from seven in the morning for half the day and the other half work from whatever it was, one o'clock or 1.30 until six or seven. Mm. Then we went to every other day and worked seven days a week, including Sundays when there was no air conditioning in the building. Ooh. We did whatever we had to to stay, what's the uh, often used word now? relevant yeah. uh, to try to be there for people and we serviced a lot of folks but it was really tough because we couldn't bring clients in you and i are sitting in a place different than my office now why because we don't bring people into our yeah, office yeah. we see them in other ways i don't know if you know the court is still largely conducted via zoom I mean, can you imagine <coughs> litigating a yeah. family law case in Zoom? I jokingly say, but it's not a joke. My win-loss record before COVID, all those years, pretty darn good. I was joking with Coates the other day. Brad, if I have to finish my career as a thumbnail in a Zoom meeting, oh. I'm going to end up evening up yeah. because the judges you know, they're not as engaged. The parties aren't as engaged. The lawyers aren't as engaged. Sitting here with you, looking at you, mm -hmm. that's engagement, right? But we're still not there yet, largely. And in this state, yeah. you know, you asked about the Tattoo Expo. Who knows when we're going to get back? Why? Because Hawaii, this is my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. Your listeners and your followers may or may not agree with me, depending on what they do or how they've been affected. But Hawaii is not as prepared to figure out how to reestablish large gathering events. We don't have a bunch of venues where you could have three venues instead of one, so you can still have the same number of people, but yeah. they're just spread out, you know, like in Los Angeles or other big cities. I mean, we're just, we're stuck on the high end. And it's sad because the high end, the volume brings in the dollars. Mm -hmm. But we, I mean, the, the Hawaii Convention Center still, you know, they bring in a couple of things here and there. I would hate to have to be paying whatever mortgages or, or <laughs> obligations they have because they just can't bring in the, the, the yeah. events. They can't. I know they got, uh, uh, they have a set built for Murder Mystery 2. The Adam Sandler movie, they're filming oh, for Netflix there, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I was supposed to do a 
like a role, like a background extra in it. Yeah, I know. I follow you and you've been, you know, you're a handsome dude. I know you've been in a couple. I forget the last episode of what you were in. It's something I watch. But uh, I know you're in that world. Yeah. Magnum P.I. and NCIS Hawaii. That's it. NCIS Hawaii. I never watched any of those other ones, but Hawaii... Always, all the way back to the original Hawaii Five-0. When I was in school, I would always watch because you get to see all of the scenery, and yeah. you know, and it makes you remember stuff. <laughs> and so I remember that episode because I'm watching that show now. Oh, nice! I never, yeah, I like yeah. it. I mean, it's getting it's getting panned in a lot of ways by some people, but I actually like it. I think it's pretty cool. It's their first season, so hopefully I'm they sure even they'll out. work out. Yeah. yeah, I like it. I think it's a pretty cool show. Like Magnum PI, I like doing. Because I'm kind of like reoccurring for the SWAT role. So oh, they need like a SWAT team. I that's to go in cool. And do that. I mean, that's when I grow up, I want to be just like you. Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. The pay's not so good, but it's just yeah, fun. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, that's, I, mean, we, I was telling you about like with the Tattoo Expo. Sometimes you want to do things in life just to experience them. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people would love to have a role in something in a movie or a TV? Yeah. I'm a huge horror guy. I go to conventions. As we speak, James, my <laughs> wife, we're fixing up the house she was born in in Northern California, a big farming community. She bought the home out of her father's estate when we lost him. And we're fixing it up. Her dad built it in 1952 when he married her mom, and, and both she and her sister were buried married or born there and so it means a lot to her mm-hmm. and therefore it means a lot to me what really meant a lot to me <laughs> was they've got a walk-in closet where you've got the water heater very typical kind of ranch home and it's big as we speak it's being painted in three colors because she's allowed me to make it into a horror museum oh wow <laughs> and all the stuff i've collected yeah through all the years are going there Oh, nice. And it is nothing huge, but it's just stuff I have. Why did I bring that up? Oh, I mean, you're on these shows and you're going, yeah, the pay's not good. I get it. But sometimes it's just for the adventure. Yeah. I would love to be, you know, like in a Halloween movie and be in victim number four in <laughs> sequel right. number 68. You know, just to, like say, that's my leg. to say, yeah, even <laughs> if it was just my leg, you yeah. know, it's like I joke with me. I'm a big guy. I said, I'm the big guy. So I'll be the first one killed because everybody else will outrace me yeah. and then I'll get, <laughs> I'll get hacked and I'll love every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, it's just about doing, I like to do different things, different experiences. And I'm going to tell you, you're, you're an amazingly wide thinker for a young person. Part of that has to be because you've experienced a lot of different things. Yeah. Some good, some bad. Folks that walk the exact same path every day on the same footprints, nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But... There's stuff that they'd probably really appreciate if they had an opportunity to do something, and it's not always about how much am I going to get paid. Yeah, it's about the experience, the people that you meet, things like that. And who knows, especially a guy like you, Uh, you know, engaging, thoughtful, easy to approach. You like to communicate and talk, hence this this that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Who knows who you meet? My brother told me a story once where he was sitting down and he actually got a first-class seat. I don't know why. And he's sitting on the plane. <laughs> Lucky. And this very dignified older man sits down. 
And my brother sees, and he's wearing this giant gold ring. And he starts looking at it a little bit more. He's not trying to be too... Uh, Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, God damn. That looks like the golden arches to me. Hmm. From McDonald's. Yeah. So my brother looks at the guy, looks at him again, and he looks at him again. The guy kind of laughs. He says... What are you checking out? And he goes, well, it started with the ring. They're talking, they're talking. So my brother says, obviously, don't want to be rude, but you got to be a heavy hitter with McDonald's. And he goes, yeah, my name is Ray Kroc. Oh, wow. The founder yeah. of McDonald's. Now, they did a movie about how he took it from others, but let's mm -hmm. just say he's universally regarded as the founder. My brother said he was the coolest guy in the world. Just great to talk to. And then my brother had a relationship with him going forward. Just, and you know, he didn't get a job, but he got some opportunities from mm -hmm. him. That's why I'm saying when you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, you meet folks. I just think it's funny that he had a, like a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, kind of, kind of, but it was, but it was done in a way that looked more kind of <laughs> like a Picasso painting where you look at it and you go, well, I, I don't know if it's a dog or a woman or, a, oh, you know, and they sell that for $20 billion, but it was kind of uh uh, art deco type thing. It wasn't the super obvious M. Oh, I see. And so that's why he kept looking at it. But he said, yeah, it was a super bold kind that's of awesome. ring. I like uh, that. That's awesome. Yeah, it Speak was just an example of what you do and what I think some super cool people do. They, they're they not afraid to kind of just, hey, who knows who I might talk to. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Even just when I got involved in doing like not even the, like the local politics, but uh, all the community groups. Like you, you belong you're to a town. You're loaded with them. You're, yeah. Next to me, I got to tell you, you're, you're, I, if anyone were to ask, I'd say, James, this guy I used to work with, man, he's out there doing stuff in a million different ways. And that's, just, and that's how you get uh, to know people or to know different things, different opportunities. Because how many times in life, like, when you're a kid, it's usually, oh, I want to be a cop, I want to be a firefighter. You get a little older, you experience other, you know, people who do other things. So you, you kind of change. Even people who go to college, typically after high school, they have a career path on their mind. They graduate, oh, I don't want that career path. Um, so, yeah, it's just about, like, uh, for me, it's just about meeting different people, different opportunities, and, you know, still doing something, like, positive, you know, whether it's a community cleanup or, or raising money for somebody who needs it. Because in the end, you're not going to do anything if it doesn't benefit you as a human, I feel. I feel everyone's like that. But in this sense, yeah, it benefits me, but it also benefits other people too. So we're all winning. I think you have to, even if it ultimately at the core, and I would agree with you, benefits you in some way. Right. You have to have something in your DNA to be philanthropic and have a volunteer spirit. Yeah, you just have to. That's true. You, you have to. And, and I know all those groups that you are involved in before your political endeavors, during your political endeavors, after your most recent political endeavor and, and attempts, you've constantly walked the walk and talked the talk. Mm -hmm. And thank God for that, because I know, like when I was with the bar, and people would say, why? you want to do that and I'd always tell them I think it's the greatest honor I could ever have but the next thing I would say is because somebody who really cares about it 
has to. Yeah, that's true. Because you, you, somebody has to want to do whatever it is, be on that board, be part of that, pick up all the seaweed on the coast, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. whatever it is, you've yeah. got to have somebody who wants to do it. Yeah, and that's and it's kind of like, also, I don't, um, I love to sleep, right? But it's like, instead of going home and watching TV, I could go do something productive that might, you know, better my life or, or you know, someone else's, yeah? But, um, so I want to kind of slide back to the COVID situation. Sure. One thing that people always talked about jokingly was that uh, divorces were going to rise because couples who weren't around each other <laughs> for so long are now stuck uh, with each other. Can you speak to that? <laughs> I, I'd love to. You know, <laughs> my wife, bless her heart, like I said, my college sweetheart, I've been with her forever. Love every moment of it, truly. <laughs> Although people will say to me, Greg, could you be a big-time divorce attorney and be married so long? Yeah. And I'd say, oh, easy. Back when my kids were young, I'd say, I'd go home. My wife's name is Mia. I'd say, hey, Mia, I figured out the child support guidelines, and I love you more today than I did <laughs> yesterday. And she'd say, yeah, little, <laughs> you just know how much you have to pay me. Yeah. And I'd say, insider knowledge? And my total aversion of living in the uh, Brick Hut area of Macaulay. No offense to Macaulay, but I still use that example mm -hmm. for people who are getting divorced. Your life will radically change. Oh, yeah. Because you have a pizza pie of the whole. They do studies all the time. Two people productively trying, whether married or not, but trying to do things together in life always are more productive than one. It's just the way it works. Out. So, to your question, <laughs> Mia used to travel all the time with her job, always. So, we've been married forever, and people would say, man, you know, how long have you been married so long? I said, oh, easy. You know, maybe then I was been married 30 years. I said, you know, we've been married 30 years, but face-to-face -face with my long hours, her long hours, and her traveling, I don't know, it's maybe five, six years. Yeah. Anyone can last with me for five or six <laughs> years. And that's back to your question. If you're together all the time does it lead to disagreements here's what i would say yes divorces <laughs> are the people's need for help might have been paternity cases because they're unwed mm -hmm. with children could have been regrettably and you know uh having been in law enforcement and understanding that at the core violence restraining order protections you know it happens why does it happen in times of stress, in times of uncertainty, you might be together all the time. Dad loses his job or he's, he's, he's laid off for a period of time. Mom might not have worked or she had a part-time job or she's also laid off. My youngest daughter and her husband, could you be in two worst industries at the time, one in the hotel industry and the other in the... In the uh, uh, restaurant industry. They were laid off in five minutes yeah. when COVID happened. So in that example, not them, but in that example, you would hope, remember I told you production, uh, goodness, greater with the team, two of them. 
you would think in times of stress, oh my God, both our kids were in private school, we're going to have to put them in public school, we don't have the money. You would think people would gather their resources and talk more about it. Well, guess what really happens? Seems like they fight. <laughs> they fight more. If one had a bad spending habit and has controlled it, they start <laughs> spending again radically. God forbid, but it happens. A drinking problem or mismanagement, a drug problem or mismanagement. They go back to those bad gambling. They go back to those bad things. So the little bit of money that keeps shrinking because now neither of them is working as much as they did shrinks even quicker. Most people explode because of financial pressures. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And they just don't know what to do. And you know what it costs to be in paradise? Mm -hmm. They're saying that the average house today is a million yeah. dollars? It's probably 1.1 1 .1 today. <laughs> Isn't, 1 .1 and by the time we're done with this broadcast, it'll be 1.2. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to me how anybody can live here. Now, I've said to my wife and to my kids to try to make a point. I am from here. I've been here since I was a little kid. I was fortunate enough to stay here. I have always been able to support my family. It is definitely because of my education. It's definitely because of what I do. But not everybody is a professional. And that's not to say all professionals make a lot of money, but your average person that really we depend on in every community can't afford to be in their own community. Yeah. I think of the construction workers who spend every day swinging a hammer, building a home that they could never live in. And it's, isn't, Ever. Isn't that crazy? It's like you're grateful for the job, but while you're doing the job, you, you know that this structure that you're building, your kid probably won't ever be able to, well, I won't say they won't ever be, be able to afford, but you won't be able to afford to move in there with your kid. That's right. Absolutely. And I would throw out the word probably and say, will never. Yeah. I mean, and, in most cases. And then whoever moves in there, if they have kids, their kids will probably stay here, but your kid will probably have to go to the mainland right. to find a, a job or a cheaper school. Yeah. I've decided, you know how everybody says they move to Vegas or they move to the mainland and they do it so they can buy a home. I've reevaluated that because both my kids left. Both my kids are married to men from the mainland. And our oldest just gifted my wife and I with our first grandchild, their daughter. Oh, nice. And they've, thank you. And, and it w couldn't have come at a better time having lost my brother. Mm -hmm. And the Hawaiian, I, I'm sure you know the legend that says, when somebody totally integral to your family dies, that's the way of the world, maybe not in COVID, but mm -hmm. the way of the world, people, we die. When someone dies so instrumental to your family, very soon thereafter, if not at the same time, someone will be born into your family. That legend says moving forward will be as inspirational mm -hmm. and as important because the mana carries. Right, interesting. Happened with my father, who we lost tragically very young, and my youngest daughter was born 28 days later, oh. and literally is the spirit of my dad. Oh, that's interesting. Is so politically incorrect. 
is so in your face. Yeah. Is so unbelievable as my dad was. It was a different time back then. But she always says, I never knew him, but I'm just like him, right, Bob? And I said, <laughs> you're awesome. You're great in terms of just how she acts and reacts. Yeah. So I think the reality is for people that they're leaving, not so much so they can buy a home. It is true both my kids do have homes, mm -hmm. but it's because they don't have to work four jobs. Yeah. That's to true. pay whatever their obligations are. They can actually work. Think of this. One job. And they could have a little time on the weekends. <laughs> and they can have time at night. Now, you do philanthropic things. You do things that help society. And maybe they'll do that, but they have the option not to. Yes. Because they're not, or to do it, because yeah. they're not going to their second job. And then on the weekends doing their third job. Yeah, and it's and they actually have enough money. Think of this, James. Back when the movie houses were open, they not only have one job and can maybe own a home, even if they don't, they can pay their rent, they can buy their groceries, they even have enough to go to a movie on the weekend. <laughs> Who here, honestly, yeah. let's let's be honest about it, has those kind of resources? You're paying every cent to rent, or a mortgage, or whatever it is, or you know, local families, yeah? That's why we got the monster houses. Let's just add six more bedrooms yeah. <laughs> and everybody will live at home. Yeah. That's the, I, I consider that like the immigrant attitude. It is, Because 100%. they all live in one house. My Absolutely. family did it when they came over to Absolutely. The America. Absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of in Hawaii, especially with, you know, the Asian culture, especially like Filipino families, uh, Pacific Islanders, yeah. they're very comfortable all living together. They actually rely on it. Thank God, because here they have no choice. Yeah. Have you ever heard on the TV, and I'm sure you do because you follow this stuff, Oh, regrettably, the three-bedroom house burned down in Kalihi, and the 13 people living there <laughs> are being assisted by the Hawaii Red Cross. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Family members, and they do what they have to do yeah. to live in our community. And it's interesting that you bring up like the, the cost of living, because the, they have the minimum wage increase bill going through. It should be, what, $18 by... I don't know, whatever date that'll probably change five I times. I just heard that putting home the, I try, doesn't happen very often, but I try to leave a little bit after six, and that puts me in 10, 11 hours a day still. Yeah. But <laughs> a little after six, why? Because the Channel 2 News is simulcast on AM radio, so I can actually listen to listen it when to I'm it putting now. home, right? Yeah. And they were talking about the minimum wage. And now remember, like many people, I'm a small business owner, mm -hmm. so I think about that, and I think about, we don't pay hourly, but you've got to correlate that even at your lowest salary earners, and I know you understand this. You're a very astute young man, and uh, there's an effect. Yes, we want our people to survive, but small business then has to elevate everything. Mm -hmm. Their pricing, everything, because they've got to... The cost per employee is astounding. Plus astounding. Your, your Medical rent. insurance, the rent. I sign a check for the parking in the building that we're in right now 
of over $5,000 a month just to park. <laughs> I mean, think about that. But everybody knows downtown parking. Yeah. Why do you think locals never want to come downtown? I wouldn't. You don't go to Waikiki and you don't go downtown. <laughs> yeah. They have broken up most parking in this area, probably in Waikiki too, into 20-minute increments. Why? Because you can do it three times in an hour instead of every half hour. Yeah. And see, and you're right, like the costs... And one thing that always bothers me about them wanting to raise the minimum wage, which I'll, I always post on Facebook on comments, uh, is uh, at the same time they're pushing this minimum wage bill through, and the media's like, yeah, they're, they're going to do it. And leadership and the legislature's like, yeah, we support this. There's other bills going through that are raising taxes. Right. But there's nothing going through that says, hey, uh, if we want small businesses to thrive, we have to come up with some sort of tax breaks, which actually kind of, if you as a small business owner could cut costs, like tax-wise or whatever, like what what do you think would be, well, I guess, so sorry, let me rephrase that. My brain's churning here. How could you raise the minimum wage and still come out even like based on like what they without having to for your services increase that in other words in right. a restaurant right if the dinner was 13.95 it's subtle but it's now 15.95 mm-hmm. because they've got to make it up to pay to their employees there are lots of employment taxes that have to be paid per employer so the problem is exactly what you say as soon as the minimum wage the cheery part of it the i'm going to get reelected part of it yeah that's exactly you what know it that's is. what they're that's doing exactly what it and is. when do they bring this up james campaign season correct it's 2022 and it kills me because you know, they, they want to talk about we're going to raise the minimum wage, but these are the same people, the same House Speaker, and everyone that has been fighting raising the minimum wage for years. Of course. But now they've always supported it. Uh, but it's all, I also, I vent about this a lot. Like, uh, the voters don't pay enough attention. Like, they just, they rally behind people like a celebrity, and they defend them no matter what. But while that politician is being reelected and getting that guaranteed paycheck, and they only work four months a year... You know, you're struggling. You're working, like you said, the four jobs. You can't go to the movie. You, you can't. And let's put it on a national level just for a moment. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not really big into national politics. I read the local paper. <laughs> Man, I want to know what's going on where I'm from. Yes. But let's just go with it. My brother clued me in on this more because, you know, he did almost 22 years in the Marine Corps. And he, of course, was dependent entirely upon as many benefits as possible to include his retirement. So you probably know that every few years, what's government do? They slash the benefits of retirees, whether it's military retirees or other retirees, principally in the medical field because it's so expensive Mm. to maintain those forever benefits. At the same time, the politicians that are doing it only have to do one term. Yeah. Most of them never leave. Yeah. One term. And they get guaranteed pay, equivalent to retirement, mm-hmm. and benefits for life that have never been reduced. And in the military world, the guys that know 
my brother happened to be one of them, could tell you in the Marine Corps side how many reductions have been made in the last 20 years <laughs> where the legislators that do it for the good of the government yeah. and then ask these same constituents, I have trouble with my speech impediment on that one, but you get it, mm -hmm. the voters, to put them back in. And guess what happens? They get in every... How does somebody sit for 40 years on Capitol Hill? I think that's absurd. I've always thought in every entity I've ever been involved in, not political, but boards, mm. that you need... Rep uh, the St. Louis Alumni Association. I was president for 10 years. I was on that board Ooh. for 17, okay? Only one president uh, was longer than myself, and it was like three times longer, and that was James Burns, uh, the oh. famous Burns family, and he was mm -hmm. the head of the um, Intermediate Court of Appeals for decades until he passed away. But to the point, I always pushed, there were nine directors, that each director needed, we needed decade representation. Get an old boy from the 50s or the 40s, get one from the 60s, get one from the 70s, mm -hmm. get one from the 90s, get one from the zero zeros, because everybody thinks differently. And change is good. Yeah, Change is refreshing. Hawaii voters, you're absolutely right. Give them a good plate lunch, yep. right? Take a give photo me with noodles. Them. Give me the food that I don't buy when I go home. Yeah, I'll vote for you. I'm not saying I'm not disrespecting anybody. I'm just simply saying it's not necessarily on the record. Mm -hmm. It's what are you doing lately? These politicians are gifted. That's why they're politicians. Yeah. I would love to see somebody like you, spirited, involved informed, willing to say what you think. Not everybody's going to agree with you. Yeah, You never. know that. But you're willing to say what you think. I wish that there'd be a requirement that every few years, you know, 25% of people in government, in po politics, are you. And people like you. People mm -hmm. who think that way. I think we'd be a much better off as a society. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's just it's interesting because government is like a politician is the only job where you can not do good but still be rewarded with a job, you know, the next day. And what kills me too is that so they want to raise the minimum wage, but they also are going to raise taxes. Uh, but at the same time, they're talking about creating a new department. Now, a new department means new bodies that have to be paid, new retirements, new health benefits. So these are added tax burdens. I don't know. If, I don't know if you know, and I'm sure you do. There are subtle places that it's kind of like I told you the 13.99 dinner that goes to 15.99. Yeah. Maybe you don't really notice it, but over time it it becomes a bit of a burden. Mm -hmm. In the cost centers, in the revenue centers, there are some things that just blow my mind. For instance car registration several years ago you know we have certain if you look at your car registration there's these entries one of them is based on the weight of your car 
Yeah. What does it have to do with the price of bread in India? But it's the weight of your car. That one about five years ago, it was passed that over the next five to ten years, and I don't know, mm. it would go up 400%. So if you Typical. look at the biggest cost in your registration, and we are one of the highest in the country for car registrations. Let me give you another example. You know I'm a car guy. Yeah. I want to ship my car to the mainland. I might have a home there, and I might want to ship my car to the mainland. Do you know we're the only state in the country that I'm aware of? I could be. You know, somebody tell me. I'm with it. Probably one of the only states in the country that in order to take your car off this island, it must be fully registered. <laughs> Even though you're going to take it to another state to register it. Yep. I have cars, everybody does, that haven't been registered for a few years. So I want to take that car off. I've got to go to DMV, pay all of the penalties, pay all of the money so they can put it into their general fund and waste it yep. in order for me to take it off island. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to the guy at Pasha, one of the biggest companies that moves cars, and mm -hmm. he's the one who told me. I said, why is that? And he goes, dude, I don't run this state. I have no idea why yeah. it is. It's the most absurd, no state that I'm aware of. That's where I got the pitch, mm -hmm. and I do it all over the country for this company. Yeah. Because, you know, I went to the top. I want to know, why is it? That's absurd. It's but see, that's an area, and Hawaii's full of those. I'm not saying that they're not entitled to do it, but I don't think... Mr. and Mrs. Jo John Q. Hawaii really realize how much we have to pay to exist. Yeah, and how much of their money gets wasted. That's what bothers me is uh, I don't mind. I wouldn't mind paying some of the taxes if the roads were paved and the infrastructure was good and things like this. But, uh, you know, it's like uh, I work for the state. And when I was the union steward for my office, I was always complaining because um, our ceiling was falling down, there's leaks coming through, there's mold. Dangers. Then I come to find out, basically I was told, well, the state's never going to be able to do anything because there's a $13 billion, with a B, backlog on maintenance. So, <laughs> and that was two years ago, $13 billion. And it's like right now, if you look at like my office, my state office, is barely occupied um it's taken up a majority just by um files from like two decades ago that could be tossed out but we're paying to me to to lease or rent this building plus the the um, air conditioner is on all day the all the lights are on you know it's just in my opinion like okay if you want to if you want to add a tax at least do some do some saving somewhere else beforehand before you you tax me right like i don't know i just it's like if somebody asks you if they can borrow five dollars but they have ten in their pocket right. and then they just go buy some like coke with it right like if, just wasted example especially as a motorcycle rider you definitely know how bad our roads are yeah, because yeah. <laughs> potholes can kill yeah yeah some of them are vicious Unbelievably. So, that being said, if where I live, say, you know, the old joke is everybody lives 12 to 15 miles from town. So, mm -hmm. if they told me you're going to be taxed and all the money 
instead of going into the general fund, is going to be used immediately for the requisition to repave this 15 miles. And your tax proportionally is going to go up 200 bucks. I'd give them 300 bucks mm -hmm. and say thank you. Yeah. But, but see, that's not what happens. And it's interesting like, that you bring up the, the roads one because uh, the whole push for the electric vehicles um, for the government, you know, they, was, they started buying Teslas and whatnot. But in, in here, they want all the cars after a certain year to be um, electric, no more gas ones. But in the meantime, our roads are the same materials they've been for like three decades. Um, they're still made the same, was like three inches or something of, of pavement. And the, the current weight of the vehicles destroys the roads as it is. Now these electric vehicles are like five times heavier. So your average, electric, your average Tesla is like, they say the, you're saving money on fuel, but you're paying more in tires because the tires wear out so fast because it's so heavy because of the batteries. So um, I guess it just all circles back into the idea that the politicians, they say that they want to fight for you and they're fighting for you. Here's your minimum wage increase. Oh, but here also are all these new policies we're putting in place that really are going to hit you in 10 years. And you might not be able to afford a car in 10 years. And then we'll tell you, oh, I'll take the bus. Yeah, but the bus is poorly maintained. It's it's slow. You know, you, nobody wants to get on the bus every day with, you know, not to be rude, but homeless people that don't bathe, people that are urinating on themselves, you know. People want to be left to their own peace. Yes. The problem is, you know, you're downtown here all the time trying to help. Mm -hmm. If I leave the Hawaii Supreme Court from a function and it's starting to get dark and I walk these six blocks from there to my office on every block, yeah. there will be somebody screaming and yelling at the top of their lungs yeah. because they're mentally challenged <laughs> in some way. Yeah. And it's not a great thing to see. I come down Nu'uwanu every morning at about, I don't know, let's call it six-ish in the morning, until they finally started to put those gates that are sliding in front of the little alcoves of each entrance to the little small oh, businesses. Yeah. A yeah. uh, couple of, obviously, owners of the buildings have put those up. I would count. Mm-hmm. There's still several of them, but yeah. I would count 15, 20, 25 people sleeping. I had to work very late one night, very recently. We were moving files from up the street on Fort Street. Try to do that at night. It's like <laughs> Escape from New oh, York. Wait. I mean, it is just very, it's very from your, frightening um, from our storage. Oh, yeah, God. we moved out of there. Ooh. We had to because they sold the building. So, oh, God. so we do that until like 1 in the morning. About 1.15, I had some of my super hard workers from the expo. We paid them. They, they left, and I'm driving out of the exit of my building, and, you know, it, puts you, it drops you right onto King Street. And I look across the road to Walmart, 
at about 115. Yeah. And that used to be because that used to be a Macy's and before that it was a Liberty House and that's where my wife came from and worked all those years. So I was very, that used to be an, a very nice entrance for both of those. <laughs> now it's walled off. I literally looked across the way and I, because I'm just sitting there and it's 115 and I have purian interests that probably I shouldn't and I said, I'm going to count them. Uh-huh. All in maybe 35 feet, 40 feet, including 11 dogs. 11 dogs. That's wild. Living in, you know, if you're an animal lover and you're going, is that mistreatment of an animal to be carting that poor guy around? And there were 37 people and 11 dogs. Yeah, and that's just that one spot. Just that one spot. Doesn't Sleeping yeah. like crazy. That's why in the morning you see the poor little guy from Walmart with the blue vest and the <laughs> yellow yeah. with a power washer. Yeah, you have to power wash the sidewalks. Every morning I would suspect. Which It's weird to me that we as a society let it be that way. And what kills me is... We throw all this money, again, wasting tax money, at all these nonprofits um, that help homeless, quote-unquote. But at the end of the day, all they do is they, they give them food and, like, one or two nights shelter. There's no long-term, you know. I would prefer my, my tax money go to a long-term, you know, state care facility where these people that are urinating on themselves, talking to the wall, mentally ill and addicts, they can go get long-term or permanent care. It's... Or let's just build, you know, you see them on the mainland and you go, you know, like the little bubble houses that mm -hmm. are like little studios and they look like a bunch of honeycombs from above. Yeah. And there's hundreds of them and hundreds. Yes, okay, we got to get into the debate of where do we do that. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants a new prison, but never in their backyard. Yeah, of course. Right? So, I mean, I don't know and land being so expensive. But I do know that I drive around here in a lot of parts often by the ports and there's just building after building after building that are unoccupied mm -hmm. with wood all over the windows. Yeah. And, and you wonder, the federal government, they're all over the place where they just abandon these giants. <laughs> yes. Can't there be some cooperative? One of, one of the things that I always used to say was that I feel like we could, I feel like our congressional delegation could go to Congress and ask for funding for, for hospitals, for long-term care facilities, and for housing, because we do get homeless from the mainland coming here. So it's, and we're, you know, very small amount of land, uh, but we're taking on a lot of burden from other cities. Um, I just feel like the Congress should be stepping in and kicking money to, to help us ease the burden. I'm not homeless. You're not homeless. Mm -hmm. But if you had an opportunity and maybe $300 in your pocket to go somewhere to be homeless, oh, why not a place that has weather between 60 and 75 24-7? <laughs> People see you want to live in Minnesota? You want to live in exactly. Chicago? I mean, I'm sure they're great cities, but old. oh my God. But and see, and that's what happens. So when I first started working at the food stamp office, at the welfare office, you know, people would tell me, because I, I was very compassionate, like I wanted, I wanted everyone to have food stamps because in my mind, you know, you're there, you need help. I want to help you. But then you start realizing, like, okay, well, 
some of these people are lying, not all of them. Some of them are lying, but then you start seeing like, oh, this guy is pretty clean. He's homeless. He has a map and he just got off the airplane. And then they'll tell you like, oh yeah, I was given directions um, to your to office. Come here. Yeah. So, and then I went and I've talked to a couple of lawmakers about it. I testified in support of some homeless bills. And like, I think it was 2018 for one of the representatives. He asked me to come testify. So I did. And I said, I said, you know, they are coming from uh, the mainland here, guaranteed. Like, we see it. If you work in social services, you see it. You see it, yeah. And it's like, it used to be like daily, especially during the winter. You would, from Seattle, um, all the cold spots, basically. And they were always, we were always told by them, oh, they can pick California or Hawaii. But Hawaii, the weather is better and... Um, I think Social Security benefits pay more in Hawaii. Probably. Something like that. Probably. Yeah. And, I, then, and then an article came out, I think with New York Times, about how, how New York was sending people. Literally. Yeah. Sending them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but again, it's like uh, when it comes back to it, you know, you're using my tax money and you're charging us more. You're acting like you're giving us something. You know, you're throwing us crumbs, but you're, you're still taking the whole sandwich, man. You know, again, a federal government analogy just for a moment. Wasn't it, within the last week, huge, critical decision-making with Russia invading the borders? Mm -hmm. So the U.S. has said we might come in and aid because everybody should be able to respect the sovereignty of their borders. Mm -hmm. Now think about that for a moment. Yeah, People are flooding into our country from the Mexico side border. We don't care about protecting our sovereignty. We're going to go help someone else. Yeah. Same thing here. We're going to come up with all these programs and everything that's going to look good, and it's going to make the front page of the paper. But how much of that is really helping our island folks? Yeah, and, and that's my thing, like none of it. Like I, I, I would wager to bet without really knowing that if you were doing a $1, how much of it trickles down to literally help somebody, even at the most basic level. I, I would have to say it's 1% or less, honest to God. Oh, it's yeah. how I feel. And whether I'm right or not, don't you think government is doing it wrong if I feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think if you just look at certain, I won't mention any names, but there's certain organizations that help, help homelessness to get millions of dollars in grants and donations a year. Uh, but when you look at their facilities, it's complete garbage. But yet they always want to expand what services they can offer because that's what you get more grants for, right? So you get more money. And then when you look at what the staff is making, for someone with a master's degree in social work, they wanted to start them off at like twelve fifty an hour. <laughs> to be a case manager and that and that disgusted me and then they were also hiring for uh, an executive secretary do you know how much that executive secretary was paid uh -uh. $54,000 a year with somebody who's probably making the executive that they're working for Six who figures. knows yeah, yeah. right which and, I won't so, you know, and anyone who works in the professional world I was just having a staff meeting today before you and I got together and I was saying to the lawyers, let's not fool ourselves. The only reason we look great is because of them. 
Yeah. So you've got an executive secretary who I guarantee is contributing a huge percent of his or her time making the boss look great. And oh, yeah. yet the inequities of that are, ridiculous. are gigantically huge. And then... And it kind of just goes back to, to the costs, you know, politicians and a lot of these nonprofits, you don't have to be successful. You just have to have a good mission statement and then people will support you. Um, I could open up a, a nonprofit saying that I'm going to give um, cybersecurity classes to low income high school students. I could probably pay myself six figures. Yeah. Yeah. Once the money started coming in. And then what I do, I, I get people to teach cybersecurity, like to vo volunteer out of the kindness of their heart, you know, so right. like they're not even getting compensation, right. you know, and it just kills me. But, you know, as a small business owner, those types of inefficiencies, you guys don't have the luxury of being able to, to hang on with. And what do we, I mean, you're a proactive person. You roll your sleeves up. You get involved. You say what you think. Example, as you said, I testified at the request of a politician. But let's not fool ourselves. Most people sit and say, damn, <laughs> these people aren't working for us. Yeah. But they don't do anything about it. And I'm not saying you really can. Mm -hmm. But you can with your vote. Yeah. I was watching a show the other day. I'm a huge, I love the old detective show Columbo. You're probably <laughs> too young to even yeah, remember it. Sounds but familiar. <laughs> it was a long time ago, and it ran for almost 20 years. And the episode was this politician on election night. And they had the TVs going on in the back, and they might have been real broadcasts. And they said, well... The precincts are coming in, and the average vote is uh, of those that are voted in this thing is 78%, and over there is 79%, and over here is 81%. Back in the day, people helped by voting. Yeah. Even Hawaii, that used to be a very vote conscious society. Look how low our voter turnout is. Yeah. <laughs> But then when people do vote here, they vote on because that guy's, you know, a family friend or that. But, oh, of course. But I'll tell you what, you could be my best friend, but I'm not voting for you if I don't feel like you're competent enough to handle I live during yeah. the political season for debates because <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, I listen to them mm -hmm. and say, okay, I want to know where, yeah, I know, and you're going to have your care. Your suit looks great, and your Aloha shirt is perfect, yeah, and your hair tired. is perfect. I know, there's a lot of <laughs> slick. But when somebody is asking questions, scripted or otherwise, I get a better flavor for it. And I'm the same way. I'm going to vote for someone I think is going to help, whatever my gauge of help mm -hmm. is yeah, going to be. Yeah. But i got to tell you, does it really happen? You know, they get elected, and then yeah. it's like... <laughs> <laughs> and then they go back to serving whatever interest, because got to get money yeah you got to get money right politics is you kind of have money to continue in politics yeah you have to but for you like as a as a small business owner i guess what would be because you see the lieutenant governor race um the Interesting, sherry yeah from the chamber of commerce right 
which I always thought was weird because I, I, I consider the Chamber of Commerce kind of more of a right-leaning. Uh-huh. Like, I figured you would want to be a Republican because, you know, the Democrats are fighting for minimum wage increase, but you fight against it. So you're kind of against our platform. Why would you be a Democrat? But, you know, she's running as a Democrat. Um, but do you, as the small business owner, do you deal with the Chamber of Commerce? And does someone coming from the Chamber of Commerce, do you think that would benefit you? I'll be honest, and you're going to hate to hear this because you're so proactive in that world. <laughs> For me, I don't see as a small business owner in the law that any of these people do anything for me. Yeah, no. I, I mean, agree. I'll be honest with you. I agree. I've just got to keep the doors open and bring in enough revenue every month to pay the enormous taxes and other obligations, whether they be rent mm -hmm. or they be whatever else it is, parking, like I told you. <laughs> I, I wish I could change it. I don't know. been at it for a long time. have not really <laughs> figured out a way to do that. I'm not a defeatist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, that's why I say it's just so expensive. We're not real favorable. You talked about, and I was saying, God, one day when I grow up, I want to be just like you, being in the entertainment business, being in some of the shows that I think are wonderful. I think Hawaii should always have them. Yeah. But what's the argument there? They tax the hell out of us as citizens and as residents and as local folks from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And then they give away the farm to the gigantic production companies that come in here. And literally, we, it's like the NFL when they came with the, uh, uh, with the Pro Bowl <laughs> all those yeah, years. Oh, sure, we'll spend $7 million to put in a new field for a year and a half before <laughs> you took it away from us. I mean, they've done it for years. Yeah. And so that's kind of my, where do we want to put our concessions? How about if you did that same concession on taxes across the board mm -hmm. for state government and all of us paid a thousand or twelve hundred dollars less per year for three years. Well, that would be well, great. that would yeah. be okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, we'd see it. I love when they say we're going to give you a tax break and everybody gets three dollars off of their tax <laughs> return. I think we need something more dramatic. Yeah, and no, I agree. Something that, and I don't know how to do it because I know you got to rob Peter to pay Paul. I get all of that. But I choose not to be a politician. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be a politician, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Honest to God, job. that's, yeah, that's your what job. your job is. You want to do it. Yeah. I'm great. I got a lot of respect. I have a lot of friends that have been in politics, but I'm always telling them, you chose this job. Mm -hmm. Now do it. Yeah, and it's weird because uh, everyone's so worried about re-election all the time and they know they need the money and the average person won't be able to donate to them because they can't afford it because right. of the policies that you have supported while you're in office. Maybe if you had better policies, your constituents could support you, right? Like, it kills me. I used to be very um, quiet about how I felt about, especially politicians in Hawaii, because, again, I was running for office and things. Right. And that's kind of like what they tell you. Like, oh, you should just, you know, just, you know, put out your message, do your thing, but never criticize. But if you don't criticize, other people who aren't in the know, they just don't know, yeah. And it's a name recognition. Yeah. And it's, oh, you've been there 10 years, you know. Got to be good, right? Yeah. 
No, honest. I mean, yeah, that's how is. people vote. You look at a form, especially now that we do it all absentee. Hey, auntie, you know these guys? Yeah, who that? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my uncle. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm not saying that's wrong, mm. but I'm saying people, that's why I like debates. That's why people aren't doing things informed. So when I criticize that there's not a percentage like the old Colombo days or <laughs> the old days when I was yeah. a kid here where my dad and his buddies would go off on election night and they would go all around and everybody voted and you didn't have to worry about coming to work late. The lines were 400 miles long and you just did it. There mm-hmm. was no absentee voting. It was all done. You waited and you had no problem waiting. I mean, it was a big thing. Nowadays, it's lower, but even those that vote, how informed yeah. is their vote? Maybe the big boys, but I mean, you know, when it comes down, OHA, I'm not one who says, you know, the princess said, I want my school to be for Hawaiian blood folks. I'm a local Holly boy. I'm not going to pound down the door. So be it. It yeah. was your money. Yeah. You can do, do it. I'm fine with their sovereignty <laughs> rights. I'm fine with all of that. But to then say that I should vote for OHA. Yeah, I, I've never because Everybody has a right, and we're not gonna really. We're not gonna segue. I mean, we're not gonna segment that when we segment their school, but we're not gonna segment that <laughs> their seated uh, lands and their housing. We segment that, but not the vote. So who gets elected? That OHA and there, you know, any of any of these groups. It doesn't just. They need great leadership. They need people that really want to lead, but who gets elected? And I can't tell you who's on it now. I can't. And when I look at it, I go, oh, yeah, I know him. (laughs) And I vote. But am I informed? Yeah, you don't know where they stand. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's interesting because when I used to live in Brazil, Brazil was like outwardly corrupt. (laughs) And I used to say like, oh, you know, America's corrupt too, but they're smart enough, the politicians in them were smart enough to give us ours I guess, like, give us our cut, and they kind of just went and did their own. You want to do insider stock trading, go ahead and do that. But I think somewhere along the line, I don't know, maybe it's with uh, my generation, uh, the lack of education in school, civic education, people just stopped caring. Maybe the 90s were such a good time for a lot of people. That might be. They just got comfortable. Yeah. And I don't really have to worry about things because it seems to be okay. And then you get, you know, 2008 happens crash and then people just who haven't been involved in politics didn't care about politics now just have other worries so they're still not as involved in, or care about politics so yeah like when they see a name that they recognize they're just okay that and guy hawaii is big on names yeah, yeah. Uh, multi-generational names i mean it's a it's a big thing you ran against a name oh yeah yeah a name Oh, and his his dad was of from course, what I hear really huge. good. Yeah, so. yeah. and a giant sports legend, right? So you oh, add sport, you add sports into you add sports into politics. You can be <laughs> yeah. there the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. No, honest to God, because you it's know true. how you feel about sports. Yeah, right. That's Hawaii. Yeah, it's interesting. And I'm not criticizing it. I just feel for those folks that need more. Whatever yeah. that need is. And, and I guess... They just need more. It kind of like goes back to my question before was, 
when you look at the state of everything as it is now, all the homeless, uh, the high cost of living, and then COVID hits, I'm not sure if you answered it or not, but did you see like an increase in divorces, mediations and things? Or, yeah. or how do you think that The impacted? line was sort of like, as I described, paternity day in family court to my clients. <laughs> it's like free cheese day in Russia. The oh, lines are wow. all the way out the door. So the lines got longer. People needed help. The phones rang more. We're pretty well known. We do a lot of work. We've been around a long time. You know that. You worked with us. But people didn't have the money for the help that they needed. And yeah. there are no huge number of legal services for f people that are underrepresented. There just isn't. Yeah. And in family, because it's not a constitutional protected area of the law. In criminal, you can get a oh, public defender, right? Yeah, right? Interesting. Because okay. if you're convicted, your rights can be hampered. You could be incarcerated. You could be restricted from your normal. Mm. In family court, it's a civil court. Do you know in paternity court, again, that's unmarried, Mm -hmm. having children, dealing with limited issues all around kids, custody, big time stuff. I'm told from judges, I don't know entirely, that well over 60% of the people that go to paternity court every day, my analogy, free cheese day in Russia, tons of people, are unrepresented litigants. We call them pro se litigants. Because, not because they wouldn't like to have a lawyer help them, they can't afford it. So yes, we wow. saw a huge increase, and we had to be very selective because quite frankly, we're a cash business yeah. relative to hourly. We don't do like the heavy hitter, personal injury, you see them on TV, the car accident lawyers. They take percentages. Mm -hmm. They cover costs until they get through a case. And then they get paid by a percentage of the recovery. We can't do that in family because then it looks like I'm being involved in the case. Yeah. I tell my client, oh, you don't want to take that. You want another $100,000 because yeah. I'm going to take 30% of it. <laughs> That's directly yeah. involved and we can't do that. So everything is hourly. Somebody wants to hire me but can't make it to the finish line. I mean, literally, lawyers today in family court will, will charge hourly anywhere from 150 to well over $350 an hour. Ugh. Now, I tell my own staff, I didn't do it today at our meeting, but I do it often, raise your hand if you've ever paid anybody in your life but for the square footage of your house, if you figured that out, <laughs> over $300 an hour to do anything. Yeah, that's crazy. No one does that, but they have to in the law. And I make no excuses for the cost given the value or my abilities or the abilities of those that I work with. But I do say, come on, who are we kidding? Who can afford the court system? And it's true in a lot of things. It's not just the law. You want to get a CPA to do your taxes? Why do you think H&R Block is so successful? Because yeah. they're low cost. Yeah. You use professionals, realtors. You know, you got all of these real estate companies now buy, help you sell. Hugely popular. <laughs> Why? Because yeah. they take flat fees. Realtors take a nice chunk. 
they make a lot of money. They, yeah. they, they, in bad times, they're all starving. I mean, it's mm-hmm. tough. But in good times, <laughs> it's a good like, time. <laughs> how do you like to sell homes today? I mean, it is a buy. It is a seller's market. Everything. My wife's friend who was with her and and went off to Maryland. They marketed their house aggressively, and they got. I'm not kidding you when I tell you. Three hundred thousand dollars over asking. Yeah. Yeah. That's Thirteen people the first day, all cash yep. offers. How many of them were local? I'd wager to bet they were all offshore. Probably, that would be my yeah. that would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. So now we're back to the debate of what are we doing for our folks? Yeah. The, uh, that race of 13 people, there wasn't, I bet you, a local dude in the race. Yeah, guaranteed. I mean, they're, they're just not. And it is crazy because, yeah, like people are paying, you know, 150000 over asking and above. Um, and, yeah, they're from, like, California. They're from other countries. They're not from. They're not from yeah. here. They didn't grow up in our system. They didn't go to school in our schools. They, are they going to contribute? Hell, they're going to pay big taxes. And if they ever do come to the house, they're going to spend big money because they'll go to the fanciest places. But yeah. how often are they here? Yeah, When rarely. they compare it to the other 13 homes that they own around the country or the world, <laughs> maybe not too much. And I'm not, hey, man, I'd like to be one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not dogging them. <laughs> I'm just saying for every person like that in our state, there's 500 people that would just like to have a fraction of that opportunity. Yeah. Just a fraction, a place to live. Well, it's interesting because um, you, you brought the stadium before. Did you see the rendering of the 100,000? I sure did. Now, I just want to say... If you look, like I was saying about our $13 billion maintenance backlog, which is like really unkept buildings, like these buildings should be condemned, some of them. I think those 100,000 unit towers in 20 years are going to look like Mayor Wright's and other basic like ghettos. Especially out there. Yeah. Like the harshness of the elements. Yeah. I mean, it'll, they'll be destroyed. And also to the point, where are the engineers talking about the egress? And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever gone to a game? I was a season mm-hmm. ticket holder at the stadium for decades. Try to go to a game where there's only 40,000 people there. A hundred. What are they going to do? How many layers of roads are they going to build to let people get in? I, yeah, I, can't, that's even, be I can't even see how you could do that. And yeah, and those renderings, at least those renderings that they showed on the. The Star Advertiser website. Yeah, I looked at it. But they, yeah, there's like no parking structures. None. And we already have an issue with our infrastructure, like our sewage and, and the water pipes and everything. And you're going to add 100,000. Uh, that just, it, it kills me. But I was, um, I live in an older development where I, where I live. And all the time, I remember I have a, storm drain that fronts my home and somebody hit it and collapsed it it broke <laughs> you know and it had the the wire uh, the rebar and yeah. everything there. so it gets reported just under two years and they showed up 
Oh wow, that's that's. I mean, it's a it's a liability. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's not good. So I talk story with the guys when they come out. We're all nice local boys. I said, "What's the deal?" Gave them some water, mm. and they go, "Oh man, we're about six years in signed up repairs that are necessary." And I said, "Brother, job security, right?" And he laughed. He goes, "Yeah, but how long you been waiting?" He didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And I said. Just under two years. He goes, oh, wow, you know somebody. <laughs> and he was joking. Yeah, but the yeah. point is, is I just wonder, same thing, the electrical infrastructure in my community. It happened to my house. I had no idea what it was. The, the lights kind of went like dim. Hmm. And it was kind of flickering like, you know, a haunted house or something. Yeah. I called my electrician. He had no idea what it was. And then I called Hiko, and they came out. They said, oh, it's because underneath, everything is eroding. Oh, wow. And it's all falling apart. Have you ever seen those where you see those big, um, they're like big metal uh, poles, and then you see this big yellow line on it, and it'll go up like the old days where they had poles. Yeah. And it hooks into a standing electrical pole Mm -hmm. that they put up. Well, they do that while they fix underground. Happened to my house. Since that happened to me, five other homes on my street, including two right now. And I asked the guy, and I said, what's going on? He says, everything underground is falling apart, especially in the older community because now people are solar and they got all this other stuff, kind of like you were saying, the roads were made for cars that were, you know, 1,300 pounds, and now there's 7,700 pounds. I mean, you know, so uh, same thing with the electrical system. That's, yeah, and that's... uh, I mean, that goes to your your statement of maintenance with a B. Mm -hmm. So we're building all these new things because it's the right thing to do, but what about everything that's falling apart that we can't catch up with? I don't know. Yeah, it's the uh, emotional appeal of there's homeless people, we need to build housing, here's housing. But there's no long-term, what are the psychological impacts? Have you Like if you look at those towers, they're right next to each other, they're in a small Well, to area. me, it just looks like a gigantic federal prison. Yeah, and that's basically, it'll be ugly, tall, very they, bare bones They built one out in East Honolulu. It's mixed housing. So what do those people pay? You know, a million dollars for their units. And then next to it, there's another building which is supposed to be affordable housing. And if you look at the outside of each one, <laughs> I mean, it's dramatic. Yeah. The For the normal folks, right? <laughs> it's nice lanai's and beautiful. And the other one's completely shut. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, like uh, that place at, uh, in Waikiki, the Prince. I mean, literally, but not the fancy windows. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it looks like a detention facility. <laughs> the detention, like an army facility. Like and that's the first thing I thought of when I saw the, the Hawaii one. And then I joked with my wife. I said, man, this sucks. And she goes, how come? I said, because if they were doing some mixed stuff, you know, you buy a place and you watch the games on Saturday from, from your lanai. Yeah. No more lanais. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that's true, too. Yeah. Where they can not have windows where you can see into the stadium. Right. I mean, you know, they haven't even thought that through. Yeah. I don't think it's going to – I don't think they'll pass it. I, I think – Would you – I mean, you're, you're more politically savvy than me. 
But when you're just looking at that rendering, unless somebody's going to bring to the table how we're going to get there, yeah, where's the? Is it going to be you know? Is it going to be government, private? And how many joint operations have we tried to do? Yeah, and I never see them ever get done. Uh, you know, when I when I look at like mayor rights or any other city housing, and I don't want the government involved in in in, in the process in a sense. Like, give the land. I'm yeah. cool. I'd be cool with that. And let somebody take it over and knows what they're and doing. Develop on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love that. I. I and maybe you remember from back when you were with us. I. I used to spend a lot of time going into the developments, the underprivileged and underrepresented developments, to give talks about family mm -hmm. court, and many of them were safe complexes where mostly women, but not always, some men. And it's sobering, let's just yeah. put it that way, yeah. in how they're living. Now, they're very appreciative because oh. it might be yeah. homelessness, but you just kind of, you go, wow. The solution to me isn't uh, building 100,000 units and I, I walk in, I have a bed, a single burner stove, a sink, and a toilet. That might be great for a night or two, but the long-term psychological impacts of that are going to be, you know, just like somebody sitting in a jail cell. You're raising and cultivating pressure cookers. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, you were in the military, you lived that life when you had to, whether it was in basic training or, yeah. or something, yeah. but you knew that was going to end. And you see, they always... And you were going to move on to something better. This might be great in the short term, but they're not going to maintain it probably the way they need to. Oh, yeah. And the 100%. people there aren't going to maintain right. it the way the government would like them to. Yep. I'm not talking poorly about anybody in the process, but that's what will happen. Oh, yeah. When you own a property and you rent it, you've got to expect that it's going to be torn to pieces because people don't necessarily keep things the way you might want to keep things. Mm -hmm. And the government's going to turn over these 100,000 units and say, it's okay because 20 years from now, they're still going to be good. Yeah, and I just... They're going to be beat to heck. I can't see how a developer would be able to even do it without just deciding that I'm just going to take a hit. Like, I'm not even going to yeah. make a profit from I'm it. Gonna, like I'm going to go live next to God, if you believe in one. <laughs> in other words, I'm going to just do this because yeah. I want to go down in history as the most, you know, it's like Bill Gates giving away all his fortune <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. I mean, you'd literally need somebody like that. Maybe Hawaii will have one. I don't know. I've never met him yet. Yeah, I haven't met him yet. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think so. It's interesting because, uh, in my opinion, if you build 100,000 units, you're going to get 100,000 new people. Or you're at least going to get 80% new people who weren't from Hawaii. Because they're, they're going to open it up to people who, who aren't from here. They'll, they'll open a limited number say, oh, you have to be a resident. Well, I think they're almost going to have to because we're such a bureaucratical society now mm -hmm. that we have to it's like oh we, we, we want to protect our own and that's why we did this but we're not allowed to entirely protect our own yeah because then we get in trouble yeah <laughs> so uh, i don't know there's no easy solution no, right no, no we're going around we can sit here and talk all day and I, i'm saying boy you're a smart guy and i'm saying man i'm having we got a really good time. I, <laughs> I, I have, I'm thinking of things as I started this with you. You know, you make people think. Mm. But 
I know you probably have never even seen one, but they used to be called record albums. Yeah. <laughs> and they used to spin with a needle. Yeah. Much of what we're doing is spinning the record. Mm -hmm. I think we should. I think more people need to talk about it, even if they have no idea what the answer is. Yeah, because you, you never know what, you know, somebody might say something oh. that, you know, maybe a developer or a lawmaker, somebody says, oh, that actually that actually how about actually this work. idea you ever heard and you, again probably too young in generation <laughs> the old famous commercial could have had a v8 and that was v8 uh, fruit juice it's tomato juice <laughs> and they used to it, hit their head and say oh you know i forgot i could have had a v8 you know as opposed to whatever they brought yeah or the light bulb goes on above your head you've seen that in a, a lot mm. of different things that's what discussion can lead to it can, you know, you, I bet when you started this endeavor and I, I'm really proud of you that you have, you've learned a heck of a lot of stuff that you might not have thought of, even though you're the one leading the, <laughs> the discussion and you do yeah. a great job of it, by the way, because it's not that. scripted there. You don't have notes in front of you. You're talking based upon a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I bet you, you walk away from everybody you've talked to with a couple of things. Oh, could have had a V8. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that all goes on. That's why I said earlier that even though you're a younger person, you are very evolved and, and very wide-rounded relative to how you think your experiences because you do things like this. Yeah. Don't you think every person you talk to, if you're willing to talk to, you might walk away with something, even if it's only that guy's an idiot. <laughs> hey, but at least you walked walk away, away with something, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Or that wow moment, the light bulb. Yeah, no, I was. So I guess um, I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but what is next for? It's still Coates, Fry, Tanimoto, Gibson, right? It is, no, yes. Right. Okay. Right. What's next for, for you guys? You guys, how, how long are you going to be doing the operations as you are now, like COVID? Yeah. Um, I told you earlier, and we maybe talked about it a little bit. Um, we're not, we will once in a while. We see clients elsewhere because we've got small offices. You've got the distancing issue. You've got some nervousness and still mm. hesitation from people. I told you that a few of us really got rocked at the core with having losses because of COVID. So, mm. I, I mean, everything plays into that mix. So we're still kind of living that world. We're a little more comfortable with it, but we're still living that world. We're dealing with people with breakthrough cases every day I come to work and who knows yeah. where we'll be or what we're going to do. Where are we going moving forward? I'm proud to say that we're still there. We're going to continue to still be there. We've got uh, Tom Tanimoto and Noah Gibson who are our future. Mm -hmm. We still maintain 10 lawyers. Got to have a lot of work yeah. to keep 10 lawyers employed. Now, you know, my name's on the door, so I get to spend time with you. Yeah. Let them do the work. <laughs> yeah. But you still have to have a lot of work. We have a great support staff that is f collectively far more experienced than any of our lawyers, quite frankly. And that's <laughs> great. That's what you want. Yeah. It's like you talked about an executive secretary or something, right? Um, and so where is it going to go next? 
Brad and his thought is we will be there for decades. For decades. Decades. Brad has formally retired, but he comes in a couple of days a week, um, and he offers counsel. He also still is heavily involved in mediation. You might remember we had the mediation clinic, Divorce with Decency, which mm-hmm. is from that, his book, Divorce with Decency, you know, now in its fifth um, edition, but to the point. I'm really resurrecting that in a big way very soon. I went to and got an advanced certification through E. Cornell University, meaning online, but there were deadlines. I think it was the <laughs> hardest thing I'd ever done, but I, w- I really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. I got an advanced certification to build on my mediation train, per- professional training that I did years ago in conflict resolution. So I've added that in, and I think I'm going to come out pretty hard in offering services through our existing mediation clinic um, to people who, quite frankly, can't survive the court system. It's too long and too costly. Hmm. And I'm a pretty aggressive, what you call proactive mediator, meaning they all know what I do. They all know. And I'm not going to say, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to say this is what I think you should do. You're going to make the decision. But I hope that as we're going to continue to litigate hard, we have to. We will always do that. We still service uncontested cases. And Brad, that was his baby and his vision. And he, mm-hmm. we, he and you remember this even when you were there. He gleefully, with so much pride, says we've probably done twenty to 25,000 divorces since we've been in existence. He may be right. Yeah. Uh, but I, we're not branching differently necessarily we're just enhancing stuff we've always had but i'm proud of the fact that we're still there the family court bar the lawyers that practice it day in and day out i will say with no disrespect because i'm one of them is a graying bar many of us have been going at each other in, in terms of adversaries not in a negative way for 30 years <laughs> and lawyers are kind of going in different directions so you've got the young ones that are really good and we have several of them Noah being probably the top Tom the next younger folks but there's kind of a void in the middle not in our firm but just in the family court and bar the ones that maybe have done it for 15 years some people move on hmm. do you remember the old days where they would say when you retired they gave you a gold watch or some I've big momentum. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That came out of a generation where when you took your job, you worked that job yeah. for thirty years and you retired and they gave you that gold watch. Yeah. Today they say statistically that folks of your generation and the next generations from the time they start working, which, you know, most of them get advanced degrees like yourself. I mean, they're in school for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're 18 when they start. Most of them are many years later. 6.1 jobs is what yeah, your average yeah, person now does. So do the math. People move on. Mm-hmm. They do some. They're courageous. I think that's really what it is. They're much more daring look at what you've done in your short life in terms of your experiences in work amazing to me 
right? I'm a third generation attorney. I couldn't even come up with a job on my own. I just did what my dad <laughs> did. What I did what did. my grandmother did. <laughs> and, and I'm proud of it. I think I exceeded any of their expectations. That they weren't there with me. I lost them early. But yeah. uh, I'm proud of what I've done. But to my point, people aren't afraid. So we have to look for the right lawyers because we're graying mm. as much. You know, you know the players there. We, we have Paul, been there 26 years, me 31. <laughs> John's been there, I don't know, 18. Bob's been there. But these guys have practicing. Bob mm-hmm. Young took the bar with Brad Coates. <laughs> And he's still going strong. Yeah, Brad's decided to retire, but you're talking over 40 years, and these guys are still out. I, I, I'm That's sure admirable. you kind of know this, but lawyers, they don't retire. They die in their chair. Yep. They just don't retire. Yeah, it's not like you do 20 years in the military or you do 20 years in government. They just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and they keep going. Are you going to keep going? Um no, not in exactly that same way. Because I have a lot of other interests. Mm-hmm. You know, be honest, could I do like Brad, retire, be there to help whenever, and then do my tattoo thing every year with all my buddies? Hell, that'd be Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then get my season tickets to UH wherever they end up, spend <laughs> some time on the mainland, and, and football season here? I can't leave my home. Yeah. It's always going to be here. That would be perfect for me. I don't need... Brad asked me the same thing, and I said, you know what? I am very proud of what I've done, but even if my name came off the door, it's never going to change what I did. Mm -hmm. I don't have to. I go down with my own legacy, Mm -hmm. whether or not... I said, Coach, you just want your name there forever. (laughs) And he really doesn't. He wants to just do good for people forever. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't need to work forever. Money-wise, maybe. But in terms <laughs> of wanting to just be there to be there, I have total faith in the lawyers that are there now. I say to them, like I'm here with you now, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I worked when I was in high school at a Baskin-Robbins in um, the east side of Honolulu. And the owners, we were the number two store in the entire country next to Grand Central Station in New York. We just cranked out. And, you know, <laughs> that was when, what is ice cream now? $3 a scoop, 48 cents. 48 cents. I remember, I'll never forget. But what did those bosses always say to us? And I use it now and I add on. I say, you know, when you go to Miss uh, Baskin Robbins, and this is what they told us. You're never going to see Mr. Baskin, and you're never going to see Mr. Robbins. You go to H&R Block, you're never going to see Harry Block. Hmm. You don't have to because the people that are there push it well. Yeah, yeah. And they do a good job. That's the whole concept of franchising. Now, we're not a franchise, but if we pick the right people to your question, where are you going to go? I think we're going to just continue to service and help people who need help. That was good. And I always thought it was admirable because uh, contrary to, I think, what the stigma is for attorneys, um, you know, Coates and Fry, Channing Moto and Gibson now, right. uh, was never the kind where it'd be like, oh, hey, we're going to try to milk these people. Like, it was yeah. always, 
you knew get coats would get mad yeah. if we did that. Yeah. You remember you were there. You saw it. You you knew our inner working and what we felt and how we felt about it. I joke, and maybe I can do it because I'm a third-generation attorney, right? Hey, man, lawyers have earned that reputation yeah, by yeah, and yeah, large. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> they take the air out of the room all the time. Yeah. But... You can still do that. I say about Coates, and you know him very well in a lot of different circles. Coates, you are the most humble egomaniac I've ever met in my life. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Right? Because he does suck the air out of the room, but he's genuine. Yeah. He wants to do the right thing. He did it for decades. He taught me. I've been with him 31 years. Mm Mm-hmm. I owe everything to the opportunity he gave me. When he, you know, I don't know if you, he knew my dad very well. You know how he met me and said, I want to hire you? And about three days later said, you're going to be my partner one day. I worked for him for five years. He came to my dad's funeral. Oh, wow. We lost my dad tragically under terrible circumstances, but he came to my dad's funeral and it was and I went up and talked. And he couldn't believe how I said what I said when I said it. Mm-hmm. And he asked me later after he came up and introduced. I knew who he was. Everybody knows. You know how <laughs> it's the old thing when people would say to me, oh, you're with Brad Coates? I know Brad Coates. Yeah. I always say to him, do you know Brad Coates or <laughs> do you know of Brad Coates? Because, yeah. you know, his reputation is, is huge. And he said, man, when did you write that script? that speech. I said, I didn't write anything. They just asked me a minute ago whether I wanted to talk. So Mm -hmm. I walked up and talked. So did he do it because he thought I would be a great litigator? Who knows? Coates is always looking at the angle for profitability. That's what made him a great businessman. No, I think he knew that I would assist and I'd be the loyalist dude in the room because he knows that you know, I'll go down in flames for people that give me an opportunity and treat me right. Yeah. And he was always, he's the quirkiest dude on the planet. <laughs> yeah. We're different like you <laughs> couldn't imagine. But in business philosophy, we're identical much because he taught me so much <laughs> in all those years. Yeah. And he's really the greatest guy in the world to work with in terms of honesty yeah. and integrity. It's just that you have to get past the what? I just I remember w- interviewing <laughs> with him oh, for the job, and I go into, and I wore a suit. I remember I, meeting you that day. Yeah. <laughs> I go in, he throws his loafers up onto the desk, yeah. and he's just talking story. And right. then, he looks like a flamingo with <laughs> yeah. his leg up on the desk because he could do <laughs> yeah. it. And you know, I asked him. I don't know. All oh, these people are going to know his secret. Uh oh. I used to say to him. Gosh, and he said, I do it on purpose. <laughs> and I said, how come? He goes, we're a unique place, right? Yeah. Right. We have a different philosophy, but it's always worked. Mm-hmm. Some people might be okay with that. And some people might be put off. Mm-hmm. Might as well know if they're put off before you hire them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. 
He didn't do anything wrong. It's just that he was Brad Coates. Yeah, it was just unexpectedly. Like, yeah, it's like, You would expect to, the lawyer to sit there, kind right. of stern. And, and, and give you that big eye yeah. and, you know, really stare at you. And he's over there freaking playing with his hair and, and, yeah. and, you know, looking through a book while he's talking to you because he does 90 things at yep. the same time. But it's always worked. It's always worked. I, yeah, and, and then I, I remember, like, I, well, I left, and, I, and then I went to lunch. I think I was working at the Capitol at that time. And then, yeah, he called me, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, we want to make you an offer. I can't, I can't remember if I had to come back in again. or Probably had he, to come back again because we always did that. Yeah. We and, always did that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I go in. <laughs> but he, he does. He draws you in. And that's, you know. It's a, it's a talent that some people could say it's P.T. Parnum, right? Mm -hmm. A shuckster with coats, while some people might think he's that. It's totally genuine. And you know because yeah. you've carried on a relationship with him long after you left. Once you're part of his family, he goes to bat for you. Yeah. He just does. He's just... And but See, that's what makes it hard, hard to leave, too, though. Well, that's what he hopes. Because it's like, that's, I want that's to. That's what but... he hopes. And you know, or hard in terms of longevity, you know, Jamie, our office manager, over 20 years, Mickey, my paralegal, almost 20 years, mm -hmm. me, 31, Paul, 26, um... Shannon? Most of the lawyers, Shannon, you know, remember she was a paralegal forever. Now yeah. she's a lawyer. I mean, there's got to be something right about that. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you straight up, and, and you were asking about what about minimum. It's not the money. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, we don't give everybody a million dollars. It's the culture. Mm hmm and it's the world that we have tried to put together. And I think it flows over to the people we help. Yeah. I know it sounds so corny, but I <laughs> tell my clients, we're just family folks trying to help family folks. Yeah, I think, I think the clients can tell. Um, clients don't like, no one likes lawyers. Right. They, you know, they could be intimidated by them. And, you know, and then they meet Brad and they'll ask me, the dude's a lawyer or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what's great about it. I remember once I was at a guy's house and I was looking at a motorcycle. And he, he was this hippie dude, really cool guy. And, he, and I walk in, he's got about five roommates. And I'm talking to him about his bike. And I look down on the coffee table and there's our letterhead. And it's open. Oh. And it's clearly a letter to somebody. Yeah. Right? So he asked my name, I tell him, and you know I'm sitting there, and then he's he reached down for something on the table, and he must have looked at the letterhead, and he's sitting there, and he's going, what's your name again? And I, I told him, and he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, are you the dude on this paper? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I am. He goes, man, you don't strike me as being a lawyer, and I said, thank you very much. <laughs> kind of and what I, was, I meant by yeah. that was, you know, in the, I'm fortunate to be in an area of the law where you just kind of, Brad has always called it, you're a highly paid social worker. Yeah. In some respects, maybe true, but you get to, I couldn't do transactional work where you sat, sat in the back room and did nothing but very detailed contracts for huge companies. Yeah, and you don't meet anybody, no talk yeah. to anybody. I would, 
I would literally jump out the window. <laughs> but there's great people that are never going to be litigators. They're brilliant lawyers, but they don't want to be litigators. Last thing in the world they want to do. Whereas for me, it's the reverse. Yeah. So thank God <laughs> that everybody does what they're good at. But I've known, like how I said to you, you must take things from people as you're doing this. And that's why you, you're, I think, very elevated over your years in terms of experience and perspective. I learn stuff from my clients every freaking day. <laughs> I really yeah. do. Even the ones that are in trouble, the ones who need help, the ones who are addicted to this, that, or the other thing, or just trying, you know, they're trying. Yeah. They're not doing a great job, but they're trying. <laughs> I, learned, some I, I learn from all of them. You know, I learn from all of them. As coach will always say, because, you know, I represent a lot of people in the tattoo community, obviously. Yeah. Hey, Greg, there's a guy out there that's tattooed from the top of his head to his feet. He must belong to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, yeah, yeah, a new client coming in. But, but you know what else is, it was cool about you guys' as firm? Um, again, Colts Fry, Tanimoto, and Gibson uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii. What was cool about your fur, which again was like kind of like it was like a cartoon. I was like, wait, what? The the Valentine's Day party that oh, you guys had. We were just talking about it <laughs> at our meeting because obviously, it's no longer. I don't know if you know the story, but when we first started that years ago, we had it at Restaurant Row because the place was full of restaurants back then and yeah. bars. It was giant. It was that's what it was built for, and that's what it was. And we would start it at four in the afternoon. Why? Because it was an, a, a, you know, a, a thank you party for the court clerks, yeah. the security folks over there, the, the bailiffs, the infrastructure, the filing clerks, eh, the judges, but you know they got to be political about things. Maybe a couple would come. Mm -hmm. And then practitioners and then clients. And we said, maybe we'd do this for two or three years. <laughs> 21 years later, we basically went through every venue downtown. The last one we did, about two years ago, right before everything closed down, was at Gordon Beers. Now, we all know that there, Loha Tower Marketplace, also, when it was built and opened, it was all restaurants, top floor, bottom hmm. floor, Don Ho's, Big Island Steakhouse. It was just awesome. Couple of retailers, including Liberty House and others, but it was just. Then HPU said they're going to make dorms out of it. How do you like to live on the water yeah. in a dorm? I'll go for it, but I never did when I was <laughs> in school, but to the point. Yeah. The only two restaurants that survived were Gordon Biersch and Hooters. Yeah. We can say why that happened, yeah. and I get it, especially in a college environment. Right. That being said, we had a huge Valentine's Day, Heal the Hearts. And, of course, what's the irony there, right? Heal, Heal your heart. Yeah. We divorced you. Now come to a party, get remarried, and we'll <laughs> divorce you again. Because I used to joke with some yeah. of my clients, women clients, and, and they'd say, oh, man, he's kind of cute over there. And I said, I'm the right guy for you because yep. not only do I know who he is, but I've seen his financial statement. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, they go, yeah. Anyway, Gordon Beers, we have the party. Big manager is there. He's helping us. It's a great party. We had been there for about three years because it was the venue of choice at the time. Pretty much everything else was gone. The next day, Gordon Beers locked their doors and closed. Oh, I remember that. The next 
day, not a single staff member, including the head manager, knew it was going to happen. And if you remember Gordon Beers, they had all their own brewery in there. I yeah. mean, that was a big operation to shut the door. Yeah. So, yes, we're very proud of that party, and I don't know that it'll ever resurrect because I don't know where we would go. Yeah. Yeah, there really is no... 20, like, 21 years, though. We did it for 21 years. Well, I thought was, I, I, you know... I think you guys got to bring it back. Somehow, and I don't know how to do it. I've suggested we go outside of downtown. But there's a push-pull on that because Brad, and I get it, but I said, Coach, family court's in Coppola now. They yeah. got to come to us. Why not we go further out to them? Yeah. You know, if we still want them to be part, let's find something, I don't know, in the Pro City Corridor or something. I mean, there's got to be something. Yeah. Well, Coates lives for parties, as we know, right? Yeah. He lives for parties. So I got, I'm going to tell him. Yeah, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, I gotta, I'm got i going to tell him, Coach, you're retired now. I'm going to put you on, on social detail, man. <laughs> Figure it out. Go spread the word. <laughs> Figure it out. Go Get spread. us a venue. Yeah. It would be nice if we could bring it back. It would be cool. It um, was legendary. I mean, it was the... I really, and I'm not tooting my horn, it was the invite of the year for most people. Yeah. They would call, and you know, you were there, and ask two things incessantly that we were known for. Where's my pop-up calendar? <laughs> Remember? Yeah. The pop-up calendars <laughs> at every Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> or when are the pink invites coming out for the Heal of yeah. Hearts? Oh, yeah, the pink Those invites. Those were the yeah. two things. And, you know, we had to go to a special place to get that color pink. <laughs> and Coates wouldn't tell anybody where that was oh, because he thought, oh, man, what if somebody does a run on... I said, really, Coates? <laughs> Who's going to do a run on this This brightly colored pink but that's the genius of his business mm -hmm. abilities you know you come up with stuff like that remember we used to have the the heart magnets the broken that's, heart magnets yeah. <laughs> he'd never disclose where we got those <laughs> because he didn't want somebody to copy the idea the stress balls and everything yeah. you know with the broken heart yeah right <laughs> and the heal of hearts you might remember the logo was the same thing mm -hmm. Only he put a Band-Aid over the broken yeah, heart because, so smart. because you're going to get healed. Heal, yeah. I just thought, Coach, who thinks of these things? You know, he, I mean. He's, he's, a, he's like a, a, a hippie. Well, don't you remember his saying? I'm an aging hippie from the 60s. He's yeah. always said that. What I say about him, and this isn't a praise fest of Brad, but he's an influence. Yeah, yeah. He just is. He's For a charismatic. people who know him, yeah. he's an influence. Some people probably aren't as receptive to him because he's unique, but he's an influence. Mm -hmm. But I've said to all my staff, I did it today. Brad Coates does not think about how we're going to, you asked about what's in the future, mm -hmm. about how we're going to handle our work today. He thought about that five years ago. Yeah. He's thinking five years ahead. That takes ability. Yeah. That yeah. really takes... I used to joke with him, God, Coates, man, you're not much of a lawyer, but you're a hell of a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a, a great lawyer, but I used to love to kid him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to love to kid him. Well... I uh I appreciate your time. I really I hope your your listeners I, and your followers know 
how great a service and a human being and a philanthropist and just a, a good guy for our society. You're awesome, James. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate that. You don't have to praise me, though. But <laughs> I know you. So I, I tell you that just based upon our time. I appreciate that. Right Ho on. Hopefully Jamie doesn't scold you or scold me for keeping you so long. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, if you want to do a little bit of shameless self-promotion, um, yeah, if you how don't to contact mind, just, your law just firm. Just a and, couple of things, if yeah, you don't mind. Uh, oh, yeah. And I really do appreciate it. Yeah, we talked about my firm. Uh, obviously, we have a website. Even though we're now Coates, Fry, Tanimoto, and Gibson, everything from our social media remains Coates and Fry mm -hmm. because we just didn't want to change all yeah, that. So, so we much. have www.coatesandfry, A-N-D, Fry. No one will know how to spell my name, and therefore it is F-R-E. E-Y, <laughs> and everyone says, well, that's Frey. I said, no, it's Fry. <laughs> and I said, have you ever heard of Glenn Fry? And then I know what generation I'm talking to, because if somebody says who, then I said, okay, you don't remember the great band, The Eagles. Oh, yeah, Glenn Fry me. spells it the same way, <laughs> pronounces it the same way. And, of course, The Eagles is one of the, you know, right up there with the Rolling Stones and yeah. the Beatles. And, you know, they, they define music. Mm -hmm. and, and so it is coatsandfry.com. I also have, and, I, and I'm proud of it, uh, our expo is ranked in the top three in the world and has been, even wow. though we haven't been around that long. Nice. Um, if you want to check out that website, it's really cool. It's www.hawaiitattooexpo.com. And if I could just say one other thing, James, and it's, I'll try to get through it. You know that I lost my brother to COVID. Mm -hmm. He was a hero to me. He was my twin brother, but he was a hero to me. And I've always said of him, he may not be a hero, but he's my hero. He spent over 22 years in law enforcement in the military. You can relate. You did the same thing, just not for as long. Mm -hmm. I believe people like you and he risk their lives every day of the year in two areas. You're in law enforcement, which is risky enough, and you're in the military. Mm -hmm. You are protecting from two fronts. Then he went and started, uh, you probably know, of course you do, that all branches have privatized their law enforcement. So about two-thirds of every branch is GS federal employees. So he ran a police academy for 11 years when they built one in what used to be Top Gun, Miramar, uh -huh. San Diego. He was on his way to a newly built one in Missouri because they closed Miramar because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And they told him he had to report. He's not in the military, but he had to report, and he tried, and that's how he got infected, and he ultimately died the day after Christmas in 2020. I have started and I put in, I can't even tell you how many hours, a foundation in his honor. And I did get it approved by the IRS, so it is a charitable organization, a 501c3. If you don't mind, I will say if anybody ever wants to look at our Facebook page, the name of the, you'll appreciate this having been in uh, the military, the name of the corporation is Semper <laughs> Fry, yeah, I saw Incorporated, that. 
And of course, when you look at it from above, it's the MP and Semper is capitalized in Fry. So if you look at it from above, it's MP Fry, which mm -hmm. was his life. And it's DBA is the Wishes Granted Foundation. And my brother's name was Grant. And so the grant is capitalized nice. in tribute to him. So it's known as the Wishes Granted Foundation. We have a Facebook by that name. Now, you know, <laughs> websites. I'm very proud of it. We launched it a few minutes after midnight on December 26, 2021, on the first year of his of his death. It was tough to get through the holidays. It is for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But we have a website, www.thewishesgrantedfoundation, one word. Check it out. It mm -hmm. is pretty cool. You were in the military. You will you'll be proud of the fact that you did that. Doesn't matter what branch. Yeah. Um, and I hope we've got some donations, and I hope that we'll get enough that I can do. I've got that mission statement like everybody has to. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm, it's not going to be anything huge, but I hope that we can help some folks going forward. And it's been cathartic for me. So that is, remember how you said, oh, you do all kinds of different things. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my third tier now that's important to me because he was important to me. Mm -hmm. um, and of course when I had to do the mission statement it was interesting because <laughs> I just said okay people afflicted with COVID and, and then I said wait a minute this ain't going to pass with the IRS because they're going to come back and say what happens when COVID's gone Yeah. and I said yeah, I, that was before all these variants and everything <laughs> yes. else right? who knows variant. whether it'll ever go away but I then expanded that through any financial hardship medical or otherwise through no fault of your own mm -hmm. lose a job i was thinking about what's happened to yeah. our communities no that's awesome so we'll see what happens and so you gave me an opportunity to you're the, this is the first venue i've <laughs> promoted it other than the management of the website and the uh, facebook page do you want do you create i mean you've got your own and it's nice but do you run a facebook page for any other organization uh, I run for my Lions Club and my Eagles Club. Well, then you know. Am I allowed <laughs> to say this word? What a bitch that is. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of work because you want to put a couple things up. You want people mm -hmm. to look at it. You want to just, even if you just say good morning, happy Aloha Friday, you've got to <laughs> constantly be thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been conscious of that with our law firm, and thanks for giving us me the uh, be able to. We do have a Facebook page, Coach and Fry, as well. But now it's Coach Fry, Tanimoto, and Gibson on the Facebook side. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've always marketed that, and that's not easy. I mean, imagine marketing a divorce firm. It's like <laughs> marketing being a mortician. Yeah. Honest to God. I mean, yeah. it's like, what? <laughs> and so I've always been, but just to keep people engaged. If you're doing two of them plus your own, God bless you, man, because that is hard yeah, it, <laughs> work. And that's kind of why I was saying before, like uh, even like with the podcast, like my goal is to do uploads you know, weekly because same thing with Facebook posts, Twitter posts. You have to do it consistently. Consistently, yeah. yeah I've learned it. <laughs> you know, I'm, and I think you knew on Facebook, and this isn't uh, a, a, a advertisement for them, but I didn't know. You can't even get into any form of analytics until you have 100 followers. Yeah. <laughs> that's the consistency. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it sounds like that's easy. 
It sounds like that that's simple. Well, when you and I have personal pages, it's easy to get followers. We just like everybody we see. Yeah, yeah. But it's the other way around <laughs> on these pages. They have to come to you. Yeah. You invite them in, but they don't. You know, I, I was under the misconception. I got a lot of friends, and, and I only have friends that are really, truly people I want to be, mm-hmm. you know, buddies, pals, like yourself. I mean, people that I know that I have a degree of respect for. But I still have quite a bit, so I figured I'd just press like. I mean, invite in, and every one of them, they know Greg. That's not how it works. Yeah, it's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. So I've actually found that very challenging and interesting because yeah. I look at those analytics. I don't really know everything I'm looking at. Negative. You're down 38%. You're yeah. up 2%. <laughs> but it's fascinating to me to just say, oh, I made it to 100. Now I can even look at this. I think the best thing for for you all i used to tell brad this was the facebook ads targeted ads and i think he ran them for a while but he did but we know mr Coates, (laughs) right unless he understands fully the benefit of something and he must not have had enough people come in and say that they saw the ad yeah right because he's not going to analyze it from an it standpoint from an internet you know brad and the internet (laughs) right (laughs) right so he's just not that's not his world Mm. it just isn't you know i i'm i'm just amazed at what you're able to do here and like i said you're a broadcast in a bag (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you take all this out, you plug it all in, and bam, yeah. we're talking. Yeah, that's the. I hey, mean, that's, that's that's pretty awesome. That's because of that bad boy, Zoom P4 Podcaster. Whatever it is, it's yeah. pretty cool. And I, I mem- I told Mia this morning. I said I'm going to be on this podcast with James. She goes, really? So what do you do? She goes, I go. What I'm great at. Talk. Just talk. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it'd be a great thing to do because if you're good on your feet, if you can direct people, and you're great at it, by the way. I've been in a lot of interviews, and, <laughs> and you're really good at it. You're natural. You keep people comfortable that. and all of that stuff. Uh, but, man, what a dream job. Yeah. Like I said, this is like the third thing today that I'm saying, man, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. <laughs> yeah. It's, eventually, I, I hope to be able to to monetize it, to raise money. To I hope so. You, do des- different things you deserve it. And so my last parting thing is mm-hmm. you just tell your buds over there at NCIS Hawaii, they ever need a local Holly boy to just sit there with like tattoos in the corner. <laughs> I'm their man. Oh, they do. You, you, <laughs> I'm their man. I want, I don't need to say anything. I'll you gotta, just sit there. You got to follow the, uh, Alessi Hardigan casting. Hawaii. I know. Yeah. I know that they there's some, that, there's yeah. some gig there. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, man. Cool, man. I appreciate your time. Um, and I'll, I'm going to post everything, all the links and, and the information with oh, this when I upload it to YouTube and all that. So yeah. Great. People well, can click you on that. know, one thing about me, I'm cross-promotional. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take what you've done and put it on my areas, mm-hmm. tie me into it. Yeah, yeah. Win-win. Yeah, uh, of course. Right? Hey, I appreciate that. Oh. <laughs> Peace and respect to you always, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, man.